If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Recorded live. So here we are, finishing off the Big Ten, delving into the Big 12, defending the honor of Christian Kirk. Uh, Not intentionally, but sort of, I won't say inadvertently, but it shouldn't be necessary, quite frankly, but for some reason it's become necessary for reasons I'm not... I don't understand understand why it's gotten to this point, uh, what he's done to to deserve this. But the uh, Big Ten, we we sort of whipped through all the bad teams and made it to some of the decent teams. We uh, really just had Michigan. Did we do Wisconsin before everything – before we – well, before I – I don't believe so. Yeah, I thought thought we left uh, there. Okay, so let's knock out Wisconsin – Actually, I think we did do Wisconsin. Yeah, I think that's where yeah, we, we did. Okay. Yeah, so, I think that's where we left off. So it's Michigan and Ohio State, basically, that are left. Right. Which makes sense. Uh, those would be the ones that everyone talks about. So we saved them for last. Uh, Michigan is now the sexiest. I mean, it's so funny to say it, but they are the sexiest team in the Big Ten by far and one of the sexiest teams in the country, Jim. I mean, kids who never would have considered Michigan, who are from – Nowhere close to the Midwest, with no particular ties to to Michigan, have Michigan on their short list. Yeah. Kids from California, I mean, Florida, Texas. They got Jim Harbaugh, and they're going to Romagna, you know, and getting the gelato and checking out the Coliseum, you know. I'm on a like, mess, doing all kinds of stuff. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he really has made it a destination school in a way that really no other school has been before. I mean, USC – and to a lesser extent, not so much because of, you know, going to other places, but, you know, just going to USC to some extent for kids from colder climes and things like that. And Miami, to some extent, they didn't get a lot of northern kids, but they occasionally would get a, you know, a kid from New Jersey like Greg Olson or some Minnesota kid like, um, oh, my kid. They had a kid. They got a kid from Cretton Durham Hall who was really good, and I can't remember which, what his name was that. But they got the occasional kid who was, you know, it was almost like going to a foreign country if you're from Minnesota or New Jersey or whatever, you're going to Miami. But but this is something different because it's not the campus itself. I mean, no offense to Michigan's campus, it's a fine campus, but it's not the campus itself. It's not even the, I mean, the football program is a great football program, but it's not just that. I mean, it's something beyond that. It's something beyond the tangible that is drawing young men from every part of the country to either go or at least strongly consider Michigan. Yeah, they're in fashion, you know? Yes, there it is. That's sort of it in a nutshell. Uh, Rappers are sporting Michigan gear in, in, um, who aren't from Michigan. Uh, I mean, you know, I saw, you know, Marshall Mathers and some others occasionally sport Michigan gear. There weren't a lot of rappers sporting Michigan gear in the old days. Now Miami gear, back you know in the old days, was all over the place. And the USC gear had a nice little run in the late '90s and and early and mid 2000s in various rappers, rap videos, etc. Syracuse even 
showed up back in the old, old days. St. John's, if you want to go way, way back, uh, probably to days you probably don't remember, but, uh, you know, the Run DMC, uh, Beastie Boys, early careers, you would see St. John's and, you know, back when Big East basketball first sort of hit the, the zeitgeist, the consciousness. But now Michigan, you know, guys with zero connection to Michigan. It's only a matter of time until we see Drake at a Michigan football game. So what about the actual prospects, the team itself? In your opinion, right. yeah, based on the work you do, who stands out to you and why? It's weird because this is kind of a new year uh, for them. There's a lot of fresh blood. Uh, you know, a lot of seniors are gone. Uh, all the wide right receiver core is changed over. Uh, the defense is kind of changing over, but and of course Wilson Wilton Spate at quarterback. He's the only guy who actually has some decent. No, he's gonna be really old though. Um, <laughs> that would be really old. Like twenty three ish, twenty four ish. Yeah, he's gonna be he's gonna be about twenty three and a half. Um, okay which is kind of the cutoff. Like, it's either leave this year or end up with David Drunken Miller and all these other sort of cats, which you don't necessarily want to be with. Um, you know, historically I think, speaking. I, I think you mean Jim Drunken Miller. Yeah, Jim Drunken Miller. Sorry. I don't know. I have the other – There was a David Drunken Miller, but, yeah, that was – Right. The, yeah. The, 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 yeah, that yeah. guy. That guy. Uh, <laughs> that name that's become synonymous with, I guess, Bush still? I don't know. Well, synonymous um, with Bale's dreams. Yeah, but, right. Guys who were who were really in over their head. So I remember right. the the Drucken Miller stories at the time in real time. I mean, I kind of liked Drucken Miller, but I thought to almost the exact wrong offense for him. First of all, he goes to you know, I mean, obviously there's other West Coast offenses, but the West Coast. Offensiest of West Coast offenses, with Mariucci was still running the show down there. Well, Seifert I think was the head coach when he was drafted, but Mariucci was still the offensive coordinator. And you know, it was exactly what you thought it would be. You had this big, powerful, kind of slow footed. He was exact. I mean, it was just weird to me. Like that, you're drafting that guy for to possibly replace Steve. I mean, Steve Young had had been forced to retire. They had yeah. drafted. Giovanni Carmazzi shortly thereafter also. Like, they went through, after being amongst the best at figuring out, hey, here's the kind of quarterback we need to make this offense go. It's like he suddenly couldn't remember what kind of guy that was. You know, it's like, well, oh. They weren't doing the analytics at that point, I guess. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Because, <laughs> um, uh, I mean, Steve Young and Joe Montana had some pretty nice, pretty yeah, sweet analytics coming that's out. That's pretty good. Somebody was doing um, something right. And then you follow that up with, you know, like I said, I mean, Jeff Garcia sort of saved their bacon by accident. Yeah. Right after, you know, they draft Carmazzi and Druckenmiller, of all people. And then, you know, Jeff Garcia sort of hanging around the periphery of the stage. And it's sort of like, well, you know, this guy fell off the stage. This guy's trapped under his horse. 
Who's left? Oh, well, we've got this little scrawny guy who's kind of from the area and went off to Canada and came back. I, let's see what he can do. Right. And the rest is history. The rest is with, uh, with history. Garcia. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but, I mean, Wilton State is the only – he's the guy who – high school production I'm still working on because okay. even his recruitment was a weird thing. Right. Um, It was sort of – he was one of those recruits that I always say high school recruiting is kind of BS because <laughs> he was kind of nothing. And then Michigan had interest in him, and then all of a sudden he became – he uh-huh. went from like a two star, you know, or it wasn't Michigan. It was a bunch of teams, but like he was like nothing, and then all of a sudden he started getting interest from a bunch of teams, and then boom, he became like a three, four star, like overnight, you know, just because there was interest in him. You know, you know what I'm saying? Um, so this this little library, mousy library science major, who always wore sweaters and long skirts, suddenly you know goes like the mean girls pick on her, then. One of the less mean of the mean girls breaks away from the pack, teaches her how to wear makeup, takes off her glasses, exactly. lets her hair down, and exactly. puts her in a, a tube exactly. top and, and hot pants. It's like, wait a second. <laughs> all yeah, of a sudden. The, the more classical, yeah, uh, she's all right. Uh, you know, Pygmalion is like the classic version of that. But, yeah, I mean, you know, that type of thing. Um which okay now based on his high school stuff it's his I have his completion percentage there's no interceptions that's oh. the thing about you high school people um, now don't get me wrong there there are some quarterbacks at high school level who don't throw any interceptions but there's a lot of times where they report the completion percentage the touchdowns and then they don't report the interceptions so that's oh. the only thing that's missing from his profile and he went to a high school that is kind of a you know, I don't want to say podunk, but, you know, it's not as on the radar <laughs> as other high schools, you know. Um, like, it's not the, – the data is not as readily available. So, I'll have to sure. do more homework on that. But it looks okay. His college production is fine. A big reason why his production is this high because he has about an 83 score in terms of college production. And that – a big thing that helps him out is the strength of schedule because Michigan had one of the toughest strength of schedules yeah. um, last year. Uh, which with the the, high, the college production score takes into account all the sort of stats plus the strength schedule stuff because I just find that it helps to kind of, you know, guys from lower level division do come out of that division, but the guys who are successful from lower level division usually produce at a certain level despite their strength of schedule. That's the real reason why it's there is to, these are the guys that came out of that area that were really good and kind of looking at, it's just I just feel like strength schedule is a real thing that you should kind of pay attention to and give some weight to, I guess. But he looks good. I think a lot of it's just because of strength schedule. Because film-wise, he's just kind of, eh. Yeah, yeah he, that's what I was about to say. Like, I is, I wanted to hear why it is that there's reason for hope. Because I couldn't Well, see. I'm giving you some reasons. But, okay. I mean, he's his production at the college level is fine. There's some mystery with his high school production. It's not as bad as Kevin Hogan. You know, like Kevin Hogan was really bad in high school. But I do get a very Kevin Hogan-ish vibe with Wilton Spate where you're going to hear arguments. He's a big, tall, white guy. Here's why you should get your QB4. Right. He's going to be that guy that gets drafted day two because he knows the offense. It's the NFL offense. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, stuff like that. Uh, sure. And if I'm, um, but yeah, stuff like that will start to thing. But based on film, he just is kind of eh. And he's eerily, he's another one of those quarterbacks, man, that he just looks like Harbaugh. He looks like a sort of less, uh, you know, I mean, he doesn't look like Harbaugh, but he just has the, like, if you were drunk or something, you would go, oh, it's Jim Harbaugh. Like, that's kind of what he looks like in terms of profile and stuff like that. Um, I don't know. It's just weird. It's like it's like with uh, John Browning and, you know, stuff like that, kind of looking like his coach, Chris Peterson. But, um, but yeah, I mean, he's the only guy there that has some interesting sort of metrics. Film-wise, I just didn't really like him that much. So which, you know, my film grades are, you know, my film grades, but I just didn't really care for him that much. Uh, Grant Newsom, who's a tackle there, he's injured, though, but he was someone that, based on sort of initial testing, like preliminary sort of speed scores and stuff, he had a fairly decent speed score for his size, but, of course, he's nicked up. I forgot what injury he had, but he was he was on crutches when he was in Rome, so mm-hmm. he's obviously not probably going to be doing much of anything this season. I mean, he was just kind of interesting from that kind of perspective. And other than that, man, this is the first season where there really is not a ton to really say about this team because there's a lot of young players that just haven't started, had chance to do much of anything. Like Rashawn Gary is definitely a fun player to watch, but he just hasn't really produced like a guy that is, you know, very, very good. You know what I'm right. saying? So, like, people keep talking about the battle between he and Ed Oliver, and it's like, well, at this point, it's not much of a battle. <laughs> well, Ed Oliver had a little Warren Sapp like season, and Rashawn Gary had a appetizer, an anti, anti pesto, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. type of thing. Right. Um, you know, a little, a little, you know, uh, just a little taste. You know, uh, a moosh boosh, you know, type of thing. Um, I should probably say that wrong. You know, like a take. That's it. So um, he still has a lot to prove. But the rest of the guys just are kind of Mike McRae is just kind of man in terms of production. And of course, Maurice Church is just kind of man. So it, there's a lot of new things here to where it's really just kind of a wait and see. What we do know is Walton Space, the quarterback. And we've seen him. Like, that's the guy I know the most about is him. And I just didn't like it. So I really don't know how Michigan's going to do this year other than, you know, they're going to have a lot of new things and maybe they might be better, but who knows. So that's just my general feelings on Michigan. Right. Usually their defensive backs at some point, I mean, they're young, but there'll be some love given them as happens almost every year, and they do tend to have a pretty good track record, at least putting guys in the league. Uh, Their running backs lately have gotten a certain amount of interest, though they haven't been elite types exactly. Mm -hmm. As you mentioned, their receiver core seemed to be somewhat physically limited, but got a fair amount of love. Oh, yeah, J.H. Chesson. Remember when J.H. Chesson was the top 10 wide receiver this time last year? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I had this. And then, and then people were just kind of, eh. And then he tested well, and then people were like, 
we're back on the boat. <laughs> yes, I do remember. Sort of thing. That's kind of that's kind of in his thing. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Darbo, I felt was their best wide receiver. Uh, but but that's the thing is guys like Drake Harris and uh, Maurice Ways and guys like that. Those are like completely new things. You know, so I don't know. That that's just my general thing. Like this is going to be a very much a. Michigan's starting to suffer from like what Ohio State suffered from, which is they get something cool and then they declare for the NFL really, really early, you know, because they're like, hey, I'm going to go get paid type of situation, I guess. Um, but, yeah, I mean, because they lost a lot. You know, Jarrell Peppers is not there anymore, even though he probably should have stayed, you know, at least me. I like maybe he should have stayed, but he's gone, so um, – so yeah, that, that's the only issue I guess with Michigan is there's, there's a lot of turnover. As a result, there's a lot of kind of question marks on the team. Okay. And then that brings us to uh, the Ohio State University School down south. The other, I mean, it's funny, you know, the old the more things change, the more they stay the same. Now, once again, the two most charismatic coaches and the two most storied programs have pushed themselves back up into the the firmament, you know, where everyone else is – I mean, I don't want to say everyone's playing for third, but it's kind of what's happened again. Everyone's playing for third who's not Michigan or Ohio State. It'll be interesting to see if somebody can do what Purdue did or some of their schools did where they had at least a little run where they were, you know, more than just a nuisance. So looking at Ohio State, which is, you know, kind of one of those sort of assembly line programs where it seems like there's somebody a lot like the guy that just left to replace the guy that just left, in some cases his younger brother, but walk me through the prospects and who excites you. Well, in terms of the prospects that I like, I like Billy Price a little bit. He's the center there now. Because Ohio State is doing this thing where they have a guy who plays guard, and then they decide to move him to center. You know, they did that with uh, the guy there last year. I forgot his name. Who the Vikings drafted? But um, but yeah, Price is a mirror. T- he's not strong. Um, he's very much a mirror type of where he'll get leverage and kind of maintain that for a bit, and then the running back is able to get to the hole, but he's not by any means like a smash mouth, bury you to the ground type of guard, which might rub people the wrong way, you know, depending on who you are. Um, of course, J.T. Barrett's quarterback there. Um, the reason he wasn't included in my high school stuff is because he only completed 73 passes. Wow. He was in. I mean, he played, he played quarterback. It's just he didn't – most of my data – you have to at least have 100 passes. When I actually ran his data, I made an exception because I got into a fight with a guy who's like, you said J.T. Barrett didn't play quarterback. I'm like, okay, all right, I'll run his stuff. You know, he doesn't he, he doesn't meet the, the threshold he needs to meet, but I'll run his stuff anyways, and it didn't come out too well either way. So despite the fact he only completed about 73 um, attempts, not including completions. Um, he just didn't really – he was like 13 or something like that out of my high school production. I, I was like 20s. But 
it wasn't good. Um, he's a guy who also has Wilton State-ish college production, which isn't bad, but a lot of it's really helped out by him being at Ohio State a bit. You know, like the fact that he plays such a tough schedule kind of helps his data, inflates it a bit. Um, not to the extent, I mean, he is efficient. My biggest issue with him is just in terms of intermediate and deep passes, he's just really inconsistent with that. He's okay with the short stuff, but when it comes to intermediate, deep sort of passes, uh, and also just seeing open receivers in the in- intermediate, deep range, he's just, there were so many times that Curtis Samuel was wide open on a, you know, a, on a deep out or, you know, like just wide open deep and he just wasn't able to hit him with the ball. Um, whether he just didn't see it or he just kind of overthrew it or underthrew it. So those are just my, my issues there with him. Um, uh, in terms of the running back situation, Mike Weber, he hasn't really produced enough to really say what he is or stuff like that. I do Getting like a lot him. of preseason I mean, love, Jim. Yeah. I mean, his film is okay. Uh, but when you have a guy, it's like anything else. I'm not going to be all in on a guy until I know he has all the things that he – like, isn't things that just people don't get, I guess. I don't know. It's, I'm not going to be all in on a guy, like, all in, push my chips to the table on a guy when uh, they haven't really done the things they need to do to hit sort of the areas. Like, if I'm going to say this guy's going to be a Pro Bowl, All-Pro guy, he should do what the All-Pro and Pro Bowl guys did in terms of production. And Mike Weber hasn't done that yet. So that's really the bottom line of that. He – has an interesting body type uh, and stuff like that, but he's not exactly Zeke Elliott. So, you know, I don't know. But he he's a guy that is interesting, but I, I just wouldn't exactly make that leap. Same thing with Sam Hubbard. He's a guy who has a body type that people love, but film-wise, it's just not, not a lot of much of anything. And um, he's like a top 10 pick now. You know, most <laughs> rankings... Uh, or mock drafts and stuff like that. So I've gotten requests for mock drafts. I'm not saying I'm not going to do a mock draft this early. If people really want a mock draft, I'll give them a mock draft. But at the same time, I really don't want to do it. I really don't like really mock don't. drafts. Especially so this reasons. time of year. <laughs> Especially this time of year, I really don't want to do a mock draft because I lose either way. I lose with the guys who go, you think my team is going to be terrible? You suck. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Um, with that sort of thing, and then you know that was so you just can't win um, with with that. But yeah, I mean Hubbard, it, he just hasn't really produced. I mean the difference is when Joey Bosa was going into his junior season, he hit every single metric indicative of a multiple All Pro, slash Pro Bowl defensive end in terms of production. Sam Hubbard is hanging out with thirty three out of a hundred, uh, twenty two out of a hundred, and I think what was the other the specifics. Uh, yeah, he has a 35.78 full tackle market share scores, a 22.82 sack market share score, and a 28.33 technical loss market share score. Based on that, there has never been, Bill, a multiple all-pro or pro bowl defensive end or three-four outside linebacker with production scores that low. It's never happened. You know, have there been starters? Sure, there's been a couple guys that kind of had a cup of coffee in the NFL for a bit, maybe. But uh, the fact of the matter is, why would I put a guy like him top 10, you know, as a top five pick 
with a production score that low. I just wouldn't do that. Logically, I don't think you would do that. Like if you had a guy who you if you had a guy you you gave a test to and they got a thirty five out of a hundred on that test, you probably wouldn't hire him, you know, for, to do whatever you're trying to ask him to do. Uh, and that just seems to be Hubbard's case. And there's things He's on my, tape. You're the new teaching assistant for this class, based on your 35 yeah. out of 100. Exactly. You wouldn't do that. <laughs> you know, like you just—I mean, no logic for you'd at least want a 69, right, or a 70, at well, least. If you're Rob Gronkowski, you want the 69. Exactly. He wants a 69, but he doesn't even have a 69. So it's, you know, it's really just about oh, he's six four two sixty five. And, oh, look at him uh, get close. He's like a near-sack guy. He's one of those types of guys that I hate. I've you never know. seen people fall in love with the almost-had-a-sack guys. <laughs> almost got him. Almost got him. Uh, oh, just missed. What did, you, what did you do to the quarterback? I threw a rock at him. You know, stuff like that. <laughs> uh, did you hit him? No. But, yeah, it's, he's that type of guy. I, I disrupted her, him. He briefly yeah. broke his concentration before scrambling slightly away and throwing a pass downfield. That was mean. And and then the whole, well, pressures will eventually turn into sacks. And I'm just like, well, when will Oliver Werner's pressures turn into sacks? <laughs> <laughs> you well, know? I mean, I keep hearing this, but the guys that don't get sacks, I'm trying to think of the guys who consistently throughout college didn't get sacks who suddenly turned into sack masters at the NFL level. I mean, you do this work. Who's the closest to that? A guy that couldn't quite get it done at the collegiate level than in the NFL does the switch. I mean, Lorenzo uh, Alex, is it Lorenzo Alexander I'm thinking of, was a guy that was a non-sacker for the first, like, nine years of his of his NFL career and then suddenly became yeah. a double-digit sack guy. But I can't remember what his college production was like. You probably would know. College production was fine. He was a D-tackle-ish kind of guy. My memory may be wrong. But, like, his production was fine. He just was a guy that most of his career, as you said, was mostly just sort of a backup reserve, uh, rotational spot starter kind of guy, and then just has this freak, weirdish sort of uh, season where he gets into a, this type of scheme and has really good. Um, but, yeah, I mean – I just don't like these types of guys. And he just seems to be everything that I hate about the sort of projection crowd because they don't even realize they're doing it. You know, they just kind of go, well, he's a defensive end at Ohio State, so he must be the next Joey Bosa, which <laughs> that's not how it works, guys. <laughs> you know, like, um, it just isn't like that. And I like Taekwon Lewis a little bit more. I like him just because he's stronger, better against the run. Um, he's just better in terms of all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, Hubbard is just a guy that I just think when you see a big body explode and you see him in space, you go, wow, he looks athletic, and then people just kind of go from there. But I just don't like his film. And then, and then again, by, based on production, just hasn't really – I mean, and, again, I'm not talking – I'm not saying, like, oh, he missed a mark by, like, 10 points. 33 out of 100. Sack market shares 20, you know, like I said, 22 out of 100. 22 out of 100. There's no excuse for that. It's none, you know. If you're saying the guy's a top five pick and he barely, you know, he has a below average overall sack score, you know. But, yeah, so that that's what they're working with 
is that kind of thing. Uh, Jerome Baker at linebacker is a guy who's a bit bigger, more compact than like Raekwon McMillan. In fact, he had a better season than Raekwon McMillan because Raekwon McMillan last year was just all over the place. Like I've never seen a a linebacker go from being really productive to just being kind of meh, you know, um, because that's what, I mean, he, he was a guy who at least had Pro Bowl production his first year. And then he goes into his final year, you know, his draft year with like 7% solo tackle mark share score when he was like hanging out at the like 11.5. So like, that's a big steep drop. Um, huh. Of course, then he ran to the NFL. Um, and of course they have the safeties. Damon Webb is another guy that just isn't very productive, but I've seen him as a top five safety. And of course, Denzel Ward is a cornerback who is, not very productive because he didn't start who people have as a top five corner. So again, there's a lot of projection here when it comes to their defense. Uh, I, I do like tag one list. I do like Jerome Baker. Chris Worley's okay, but they need a lot of, I mean, that's the only thing I would say is that their defense is relying on like Malik Cooker just came out of nowhere. Like there was a lot of things. They need another one of those that where a guy just sort right. of boom. <laughs> exactly. Where they just kind of hit their stride in the final season. And Ohio State just has this issue where as soon as a guy breaks out, they're gone, you know. Right. Um, and uh, and they've had a lot of all the guys, really, all the guys who broke out last year just were gone immediately. You know, at least Joey Bosa, they had him for his freshman and sophomore year, you know, and then he went. But – they're just losing guys like crazy that just are in their final year and then boom, they're done. And the only last guy I'll talk about is Paris Campbell at wide receiver. He's someone that in some people's, not everybody, it's major media, major media rankings, I should say, have him as a top five wide receiver. Wow. Draft Twitter people. I mean, is that what they're going on? Based on practice? Draft, draft, draft Twitter people, uh, are more tame about him. The big media types are, and a lot of the sort of the blurbs, the writings are talk to a coach, <laughs> talk to a scout. They say he's going to be the next stuff like that. So <laughs> talk to I, a guy driving past a practice, <laughs> right? Stuff like that. And I, as I try to explain to most people, don't make appeal to authority arguments with me. Just because a scout or a GM says that – it's like with analytics. Just because a scout or a GM says bench, bench is the best metric to look at and the 40 is rubbish doesn't mean that's true. That just means that that scout's opinion of it was that, you know. So just because a scout or a coach says this guy's good doesn't necessarily mean that he's good. It just means that that's his opinion about that guy. Uh, that isn't really an argument for or against that guy as much as this guy thinks this guy's bad or this guy thinks this guy's good. And with Paris Campbell's case, though, his production score is a 6.59 out of huh. 100 up to this point. And now, correct me if I'm wrong, Jim, that doesn't sound good. Well, the only wide receivers that have been successful with a 6.59 or lower have been guys who just never played the position. You know, they're converts. Julian Edelman, you know, Antoine Randall-L. Guys like that. Um, you know, to be a starter, you need at least a 58 out of 100. 
that's the majority of starters. And that's since the 1969 NFL draft class. And I, I guess I just have to keep yelling at it, people, since the 1969 NFL draft class, just to explain how big that sample size is. Because I get a lot of people that, you know, well, what about this guy? What about that guy? He's in the sample. You know, like, everybody that you want to throw at me is in the sample. So Unless you're uh, trying to throw, part. like, Del Schofter, you know. Right. Huh. <laughs> well, anybody <laughs> from 1968 to, to – to, you know, before 1969, you know, Gene Washington, all those guys are there. You know, like whoever you want to name from 1969 NFL draft class, send out is in this sample. Um, and the majority of them were at least 58 or higher when it comes to production with a couple handful of guys, Edelman and, like I said, Antoine Randall. So it's not good. Uh, Paris Campbell is just not good. Uh, now, again, he may be good this year. He may be a good wide receiver, but he just hasn't done enough on paper, let alone film to say anything about him. Uh, you know, it's like I remember there was this one tight end from Kansas that people were kind of big on, and I went to a, a film of his, and he caught one pass, and that was it. I'm like, that's it? <laughs> like, that's, you know, so that's that's Paris Campbell's film. It's one game where he catches a pass, and that's it. So just not enough to really – He's not some. He's not even somebody I would consider a sleeper because at least a sleeper, you have some things to point to. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you, have, you have something to point to. Campbell, on paper, being a, a six foot two hundred five wide receiver of a four with a four five two forty, is not exact. Doesn't scream athletic upside. You know what I'm saying either. So, um, I mean, it's okay athleticism, but it's not like. Oh, he ran four three type of thing, you know, like something like that. So, yeah, that's the only last thing. I, I, it just annoys me about Ohio State, I guess, in terms of that sort of thing. But yeah, I mean, in terms of prospects of the air, Billy Price, I think, is okay. Marcus Boz, the other guy too, a tight end that I, I've seen some people go, he's a transformer, I guess. There's more than meets the eye, I guess, with him. Uh, I don't think so. Well, my issue is, hasn't he? been in the doghouse for some reason almost his entire career there i mean he's a redshirt senior and he's still there so that should tell you something right but i mean doesn't he keep for whatever reason the coaching staff seems to find some reason to not like him right i haven't heard anything like that i just don't think he's a very dynamic tight end uh you know even the times where he's used as a pass catcher, he's just kind of average, you yeah. know, like he's not super fast. He's not super strong as a blocker. He's kind of blase too. So yeah, yeah there's think, not a lot that, of things. That, he's like a less blocking centric version of a guy like Dan Campbell. I don't yeah. remember Dan Campbell as a player, but yeah, he, yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, he was but, a guy that didn't exactly cite your, let your, cite your work world on fire and he's on block uh yeah he, yeah yeah you know he actually got it done with the giants and cowboys if memory serves it correctly with the two teams he played for as a you know the guy who come in and short yards goal line whatever and you know when you had campbell and witten uh who were together for a while or shocking and witten you know now we're talking you know yeah i mean not shocking not shocking and witten that would have been cool but shocking and campbell yeah. <laughs> right 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 cool. 
if only. But yeah, Shockey and Campbell. You know, you know, you've got something. And every once in a while, they would, you know, in that goal line situation, he would slide off the guy who was blocking and to throw the ball to him, and people were like, <gasps> exactly. <laughs> you didn't see you that did, coming. <laughs> you, you you really didn't see that coming because he just kind of <laughs> numbed you to sleep, and then all of a sudden you get that crazy. That crazy. He gets targeted. All yeah. Um. And that's kind of like Marcus Bob, but I just don't get the whole more than meets the eye narrative with him. There's been a lot of that. I just I just think that he's an Ohio State tight end, and he decided to say that because he's a Ohio State tight end. He's not even like Jeff Hireman either, you know, um, who's kind of like Mark Andrews-ish in terms of like the Ohio State, Oklahoma turned tight end. Like, I think he's more like Jeff Hireman than – Marcus Bob, but yeah, I just don't think there's much there in, in terms of him. And Jamarco Jones is the tackle there. I just don't really think he's that great either. He's a, he plays at Ohio State. That's about it. That's a, that's about where that ends, I guess, when it comes to him as, as a tackle. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Ohio State is another team that yeah, they're they're still Ohio State, but there's still a lot of uh, like, what is this team going to be like? I don't know. I don't know what the identity of the team is. Is it Mike Weber? Maybe. Um, but I just don't really know yet because there's a lot of guys left, obviously, and that's the big issue Ohio State has every year is they have all these guys that they have to turn over, and there just isn't a ton of continuity there right now. So, so moving on towards the team that I think might be the most intriguing, whether or not they finish – at the top of the Big Ten, I think they probably have the most – they may have the most NFL talent. We'll see. But Penn State, obviously, you know, was sort of a surprise team last year. They won't be a surprise to anybody this year. Take me through the prospects that most intrigue you and why. Right. Uh, well, of course, you – I mean, you obviously have to start with Saquon Barkley – uh, at running back, he's super fun back. He's fast. He's powerful. He's shifty. He's elusive. You know, he's pretty much everything you're looking for at the position. His blocking isn't really there yet in terms of pass protection, but I just think he's going to be like every year. Whenever running back gets that criticism, they'll have a game where they showcase their blocking, like a like sort of scout film like the very first game of the year or the first national televised game they'll they'll highlight how much they've improved in their blocking and stuff like that so I'm not saying that that's going to happen but every year whenever a running back gets that criticism the team tries to showcase hey he's gotten better you know stuff like that so I don't really necessarily think that's going to be a big issue Uh, the quarterback position there in Trace McShorley he's the he's the sort of He's not the flavor of the month yet, but he could be a flavor of the month. He's a, you know, possible flavor of the month type guy. Um, he's better than Hackenberg, which is always a plus, but isn't really saying much, you know. Uh, but but he is somebody that, ha- that does have good high school production. He just hasn't exactly had a, uh, a incredibly efficient season yet. And he's had his moments, but he just hasn't had a full season of really, really efficient quarterback play yet. That's his only sort of thing that kind of hurts him a bit. Uh, Deshaun Helmeton is the wide receiver that I've heard some buzz with, but I don't think there's enough there production-wise to really say much of anything. And defensively, uh, 
Marcus Allen at safety is okay as a tackler. It doesn't really affect the passing game that much. And the rest of the defense, like Jason uh, Cabinda is, uh, or, or Cabinda, something like that. But there's been some buzz about him too, but I he just isn't really productive enough to really justify that buzz. So other than he's a Penn State linebacker, and as you know, Penn State has linebackers. So, yes, well, by um, law, they're required to have linebackers, Jim. Right. Um, and, you know, it's sort of, hey, he's going to be the next great Penn State linebacker, stuff like that. I don't quite see that with him. Uh, I don't know. I see him as a guy that's going to go to the combine and run like four, eight, nine, and people are just kind of going to jump off the, you know, jump off the boat. He will jump off the train at that point. But, um, but yeah, I think offensively it's a great team. I think again, Barkley, I think is again one of the best running backs in in the in college football right now. Uh, and of course, Trace McShirley has a lot of potential to really improve, but. It's still a young team that's trying to figure stuff out too, so that's that's only I would really say about them. They're still kind of, and uh, the only thing I would say is I am happy they're actually good now, or at least are decent, because the James Franklin hate was hitting a apex. You know, it's hitting a yeah. peak yeah. in terms of you ruined Christian Hackenberg, you ruined our franchise quarterback, off with his head, you know, yeah. type stuff. I remember. And, I I think I think people are starting to realize that it had more to do with Hackenberg than it did James Franklin. Well, you know? I always wondered about that. I mean, James Franklin, how do people think he got there? He was the guy who'd been a very successful assistant coach, was a very successful head coach. And, I mean, almost people thought it was just a diversity hire or something. I mean, he was a really good coach everywhere he'd been through his entire career. At one point was going to be, you know, the, the – Coach in waiting or whatever, waiting for Freegen, who sadly did not get a chance to retire, but was planning to at Maryland and would have sort of been next in line. It's just perplexing to me that people would think that a guy's going to step into a situation, simplify an offense for a quarterback, and that somehow that's the thing that ruined him. Like, if you want to talk about the failures of the offensive line, I'm there for that. Like, okay, I get that. The offensive line wasn't very good. You and I and everyone else agree that their offensive line was not great during his tenure there. But there were things he was doing at times, even when he wasn't getting pressured, that should have been concerning to every person that observed him play. Yeah. Well, they kept making excuses for everything. I mean – like, okay, yeah, quarterbacks, I don't know. I, I just don't – like, okay, Sam Darnold did not have a very good offensive line. He ended up having if one of the best statistical seasons for a quarterback last year, despite having Zach Boehner at right tackle and Chad Wheeler at left tackle, who was like a gimp for half the season. You know, like, I just – good quarterbacks are going to work with what you give them, and Hackenberg never quite worked with what you gave them. I just think – there was sort of the, you know, Hackenberg had his freshman season and people just kind of went crazy over it. And then, you know, even NFL scouts were like, the best quarterback in college football or, you know, is Dang. Christian Hackenberg. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, it's not Jameis Winston. It's <laughs> Christian Hackenberg. You know, like that was the sort of stuff. And yeah, I know, I know. It was just sort of like bizarre, you know, like, and then, and then again, you have a coach who comes in and 
in James Franklin, who's taking the quarterback that you were reading about as the next best thing, and then he ends up being terrible, and you're like, oh, you blame the coach, you blame everything, you know, uh, in terms of that kind of stuff. And I just don't think it's that. I just think it was Hackenberg, you know. I mean, and based on his high school production and based on everything else, it was Hackenberg. But people just – I don't know. And you remember – I mean, mm. keep keep in mind, uh, you know, Clawson has gotten better in terms of quarterback evaluation, you know, articles and stuff like that. But he still wrote an article saying that because Christian Hackenberg was in a simplified offense, it was sort of like he he is bored. And he's like a genius who's bored. And because he's bored, he's regressed. It's the most bizarre argument I've ever heard in my life. I I remember. I remember. Yes. I remember the bored genius article. I do remember it. And I remember thinking to myself, there have been other quarterbacks who have been in offenses that were fairly simple, you know, quote unquote below them or beneath them or whatever you want to call. And what they did was they found out, you know, obviously every little thing they could about that, but then start working on other things, refining other things within their game. There's no way a real college quarterback ever would have a chance to be bored uh, at any school, let alone a big time program like Penn State. So it's, I mean, it's a fun thing to sort of, you know, pretend to, I mean, to, you know, sort of poke, mentally consider, hey, what would happen if? But it just doesn't stand up to any sort of test of anything. It doesn't stand up. It doesn't stand up. It doesn't. Because you can take the same concept. I mean, you can experiment with things. You can take the same concepts and try to add layers, you know, to to make it better, you know. So, which is what most of the – I mean, Derek Carr went from, you know, a fairly pro-solved offense with yeah. Dad Hill and then went to screen pass, screen pass, screen pass, screen pass, screen pass, screen pass, screen pass type yes. of thing. Yeah. Uh, but even despite that, you know, he's, he's got better. found a way to get better and, you know, kind of put some more nuances to it, and, you know, like anything else. So that's – again, great quarterbacks are going to work with what you give them. Um, they're not going to regress because you made the offense simpler. I just don't. Yeah, yeah it's, it's to this day maybe the most bizarre rationalization I've ever run across in the many bizarre rationalizations I've seen regarding quarterback play. And, I mean, that's the place where you find bizarre rationalizations, obviously, and people write about quarterback play. Well, so-and-so is better than such-and-such, such, even though he's not more accurate, not more productive, not more consistent, but because he has more yards per attempt or he has – or whatever it is, the thing that people, you know, decide to say is the reason. You know, so the issue or amongst the issues that I spot when people are breaking down quarterbacks, it's sort of like what you talked about with running backs or wide receivers that often they have a type, you know, they, they have a favorite or they have a, so some people, they do look for the, you know, the Roethlisberger type. They want a guy who's six, five and 240 something pounds. And even if he's, even if that's all he has in common with Ben Roethlisberger, they will begin to, they will get that guy. Right. You know, even if he's not good, they will still draft him in the fourth round because 
who knows what could happen. He could be the next whatever because he fits that type, you know, or the West Coasty type. You know, again, the, it really boils down to the big Roethlisberger type and then the West Coasty Drew Brees, Russell Wilson-ish type, you know, Aaron Rodgers-ish types. Right. Um, seem to be the two main camps. The Andy Reid types, I guess, is the best way to put it. Um, and right. Do you want a Bruce Aarons no quarterback room. or do you want an Andy Reid quarterback? That's what exactly. <laughs> exactly. And there's no room for something different. You know, like there's no – there's no in between, you know. You hey, don't guys, have all the traits. Says Derek Carr. What about me? <laughs> right. Or yeah, or Derek Carr, or Tom Brady, or you know, yeah. Matt Ryan, even. Uh, yeah. Matt yeah. Ryan, even. You know, I mean, there, there's different types, but yeah, I mean, I again, uh, I just think that people, when it comes to most, your scouting traits, you know whether it's decision-making, at least at the quarterback position, you know, my big things are just decision-making, accuracy, and ball handling, and, you know, and, of course, some ability to be mobile, pocket presence, stuff like that. The basics, pocket presence, accuracy, decision-making, you know. Um, But people don't focus on that. They just focus on, well, does he look like Ben Roethlisberger or not? Does he look like Drew Brees or not? You know, you know, I don't know. It's kind of crazy. Go ahead. So, so, uh, so jumping to McSorley, because there was a little right. bit of McSorley love that began to, as you talk about quarterbacks, began to sort of well up within the hearts of some last season, especially during that run they had you know, in the last part of the season. And McSorley was playing better. I mean, there's no disputing that. He was playing better than he had earlier in the year and than he had previously in his career. What things, based on the production stuff and, and of course, film study, what do you think we might have coming further from one Trace McSorley? Well, he is in he's, – he's, this is a big year for him, obviously. Uh, he's going to be 22.69 at the end of the year. So I might advise him to come out because it would be better for him to be 22.69 versus being 23.6. You know, in the funding, uh, but that's if he doesn't improve. If he doesn't improve, stay in school. But uh, his FBS score last year was sixty-seven point five one out of a hundred, which doesn't hit the Pro Bowl area of eighty or higher. And again, the Pro Bowl area is where most of the Pro Bowlers were, in terms of like Boomer Sison and uh, you know Matt Ryan, guys like that. You know, multiple Pro Bowl type guys, Andy Dalton, like that. He was sixty-seven point five one, which there have been a couple. Well, who have been the guys that have at least had halfway decent careers who were, were around that number? Brett Favre, uh, oh. Drew Brees, uh, not Drew Brees, but Drew Bledsoe. But that's it. You know, oh. I think the other the guy was <laughs> that's Matt That's a pretty Hasselbeck. short list. <laughs> Matt Housebuck was the other guy. And this is back to 1958, so that's Got pretty it. farther Back to Fran, old Fran Tarkenton, you know. Yeah. Um, Georgia Peach. So, yeah. so the the success stories are Hasselbeck, Favre, and Bledsoe for guys that had, right. had hit that threshold. Exactly. And I would argue Bledsoe, for the first three years of his career, there was a lot of issues <laughs> in terms of NFL career. And then yeah. it started to pick up a bit. Uh, but uh, and of course, Brett Favre has like a bizarre career. Like, there's, there's more 
Like, all of, I'm saying he had a good career. Don't get me wrong. Went to Super Bowl, did other guys. But he had some really bad years. He, yes. You know, um, mixed in. He wasn't, you know, Peyton Manning is all I'm trying to say. Uh, <laughs> no, but uh, <laughs> wasn't exactly that. But, uh, yeah, McSorley, but that's the thing about McSorley. He has a really good high school production score of 93.20 out of 100, uh, which hits the sort of threshold for potential Pro Bowl, but his college production doesn't meet the uh, the high school production. So this is the year, really. Um, if he improves on these numbers, if he gets into the 80s, he'll be a guy that could potentially be a Pro Bowler. If he doesn't, then not really there. Based on film, the beginning of the year was really bad, and then the end of the year just ended like extremely well, where he was kind of, uh, you know, I I don't again comparisons are kind of weird, but you know he's kind of a West Coasty type quarterback who's athletic and uh, you know making throws on the run down the field. Does that a little too much for my taste a bit? You know, kind of just chucking it in the middle of the field too much, I guess. I don't know, but um, just kind of running around kind of Johnny Manziel-ish, I guess, in, in terms of certain things. But he does at least show some decent ability to, you know, hit short passes well, which was something Chris Hagenberg was terrible at. But, yes, yes, it was. You know, hit short passes well. And intermediate is kind of decent. And can hit some deep passes, too, when he gets into a rhythm. Uh, but I would just say those are just kind of the – main knocks and arm strength i mean he doesn't have the biggest arm ever but i just feel like he throws a, a fairly catchable accurate ball it's just at the very beginning of the year because that's the big thing the biggest thing that hurt his score really was the beginning of the year it was yes. bad and then his he first just started three games get... i was thinking really how did this yeah. guy win the job and then he just slowly but surely got better in the next three games you know games four through six like okay I can see him becoming a decent game manager type. And then games, you know, seven through uh, 11, he was like, oh, huh. you know, kind of a sleeper, a little, little more to him than I thought. And then, you know, the championship game and and uh, Rose Bowl, it wasn't consistent. But once again, people are attracted to flashes. And he would have three or four flash-type plays. There was a rather – I mean, I mean, you could maybe attribute it to Godwin, but people raved about you know one of the throws he made during the the Rose Bowl game, and it was it was a good throw, and it was probably even better catch, but it was a dip, high difficulty throw, and he seems to like high difficulty throws. Maybe a little, I think that's what you're alluding to with the far thing, maybe a little more than he should. Exactly. Which again, people get into this, and that's the other thing too, Bill. Uh, you know, people seem to the high variance quarterbacks. You're a great quarterback, even if you're high variance. I don't necessarily agree with that um, because uh, it's not to say that you're a bad quarterback if you're a high variance guy. It's just there's a difference between Peyton Manning and Eli Manning, and yes, there you go. You know, and, and you would rather have the Peyton Manning than you would the Eli Manning. You know, like at the end of the day, you want a quarterback who isn't turning the football over, isn't making these high difficulty throws all the time. Um, you know, you want them to have better decision-making. The reason why Tom Brady and Peyton Manning and even Drew Brees and, you know, all these other sort of Joe Montana, the great quarterbacks we talk about as being the greatest quarterback, the reason why we think of those guys is that is because they were great decision-makers. You know, they weren't 
throwing, you know, four interceptions in a game, uh, you know. Of course, Peyton Manning had a game here and there, you know, it's Patriots and stuff like that. But it wasn't to the level of this is a common occurrence, you know, like a Jay Cutler situation, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's, or a Brett Favre, you know, situation, you know. Uh, So that's, that's one thing I would say is McSorley just, and again, if he gets better, that's the biggest thing. He is truly a sleeper if there ever was one because he does have the high school production indicative of a very high quality player. He just has to improve uh, his overall, you know, completion percentage, such and such ratio, and then he'll end up possibly into that Pro Bowl range to where he could be like an Andy Dalton type. You know, I'm not going to lie. Like, that could be sort of – I know people don't like Andy Dalton, but, you know, that's an NFL quarterback who's had success and has gone to, you know, playoffs and, you know. So, I, I don't know. I don't know what you want. America, I guess you know, like you're always gonna get a great. He's, he's uh, one of the top twelve to fifteen quarterbacks in the league, and it's not even disputable. I mean, exactly. It's, it's like I, I might be underselling him, but there's no way that you could argue successfully, at least, that he's not one of the top twelve to fifteen quarterbacks in the NFL. He's exactly just not very and sexy or exciting. It's not sexy or exciting, but. Would you have? Would you rather have one of the worst quarterbacks? No, you wouldn't. You know, you have to dance with the you know with the girl you brought. So, um, I just feel like uh, McSorley has that potential. Hasn't really realized it yet, but he's definitely. I mean, he again, he's the truest sense of like a sleeper guy to me because the high school production hits the marks it needs to hit. He just has to get that college up you know, to where it, it, it's a comfortable sort of area. Because right now he's rocking a Deshaun Kaiser-like production score, you know. And uh-huh. that's not exactly what you want at this point. Tape-wise, he's not as bad as Deshaun Kaiser. But, it, 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 you know, at the beginning of the year, it kind of was. So that, that's something I would um, kind of stress with Nick Sorley, is that he's more of a sleeper than a real thing. But if he has a big year this year, I think that'll really help Penn State out. And they have all the stuff there. You know, in terms of offense and skill position, so that's that's kind of the big thing for him. Okay. And so that moves us to the Big Twelve, and I know every year I say this, but I think Kansas may be headed in the right direction, not very quickly, mind you, and not very far in the right direction yet. I know it doesn't sound like much, but I think three wins might be in the cards for Kansas, which, because they're Kansas, is something to be somewhat excited about by Kansas standards. I mean, obviously everything's being graded on the Kansas scale, and Kansas has probably, for the past really five or so years, been a bottom 10 to 20 program easily. And I'm proposing to think they might be more in the bottom 30 which, you know, baby steps, I guess. There's usually at least one or two players on defense that are of interest. Their offense is often kind of a a circus, but not in the fun and exciting way. What do you see when you look through that roster in terms of people who might have professional potential? I think most of the players that have at least the top guy on the team is uh, Dorrance Armstrong Jr. Based on paper, he's like an Arden key of the Big 12. 
like like, in terms of, you know, like he has sort of the size sort of measurables, at least based on paper, same sort of speed on paper, production similar on paper, but it's against the Big 12, not the SEC, which is, debate, you know, debatable in terms of stuff like that. But I just feel like that's – he's the guy that going into the year has the most positives, I guess, to where you could go, hey, this is a guy that could be a breakout candidate uh, in terms of, you know, mainstream kind of stuff. Based on film, uh, I only I didn't see a lot of Kansas last year with with some good reason. It, it was Kansas, and most of the guys that I wanted to see, they were injured. Leave it out. Like a lot of the players I was going to uh, to actually watch, uh, I was like five minutes into the film, and I'm like, oh, they're in, they're injured. You know what? I, I want to. You know what? I was gonna watch Kansas, but you know I'm gonna watch some Patrick Mahomes over here. You know, like it was sort of like that. Like I, I'll, I'll watch some of this here. You know, like I, I don't know, but that, that was just sort of a mentality with them last year. Because um, there was one year where I watched a good bit of Kansas, like six games worth of Kansas. Right. Um, two, it was two years ago. We had a yeah. lot of discussion about Kansas, especially some of the defense backs, and they yeah. had a good defensive back deal. They often have good if underrated defensive backs and if that's you ken back hi ken uh if you if you decide to chime in it's always good to have you if it's not you ken uh good to have whoever that is and if you uh wanted to have input or throw out a question or whatever it is feel free to do so uh, if you just want to listen you're also free to do that so kansas we always talk about it and we always you know like i said it's kind of a common refrain Kansas, could they be better this year, question mark? And, of course, better is a relative term, as we just said before. Now, you made an interesting comparison or interesting – you drew an interesting, um, you know, sort of relationship between he and Arden Key. When you break the two down, what are the things that are similar and what things might be different between the two? As you said, obviously, being at Kansas is probably the biggest difference. But other than that, uh, what are the things that are similar and different between those two prospects? I think the main similarities is, is size-wise, they're, you know, they have, they're tall, they're kind of lengthy, you know, they have a certain amount of length. Uh, they are fast for their size in a way. You know, they don't, they're not super, super fast, but they at least have some amount of speed. And their best, their best sort of quality in terms of pass rush ability is the speed rush, uh, if you will. The the big difference between the two, I would say, is Armstrong uh, is not quite as refined as as Arden Key to a certain extent in terms of like having a secondary move all the time that that's effective. Because there's definitely guys. Because that's the big thing I try to harp on guys and try to evaluate edge guys is just because a guy has a has a spin move doesn't mean that it was an effective spin move. You know, just because a guy has a bull rush doesn't mean it was an effective bull rush. Like, at the end of the day, you want guys who have pass rush moves that actually work to get the passer, to get the quarterback, to create a pressure. And sometimes you have guys who attempt something and you go, oh, we can do a spin move when it's not an effective move. And that's the only thing I would say is the only real difference between the two is I just think Key is a little bit better against the run and has sort of – you know, he's not the most refined. I mean, he is not exactly the most refined pass rusher ever, but 
I feel like he's a little bit more refined in terms of secondary moves and stuff like that versus Armstrong. Um, but they are similar just in terms of body type and having speed rush as kind of their go-to sort of move and uh, in that in that kind of way. So that, that's – and, of course, similarities in terms of, like, length and stuff like that, you know, because these are both guys that are, like, 6'4", six, 6'5"-ish, six, you know, who have that kind of size on, on film. Long arms, yeah, probably yeah, long like arms. Six, eight. Six nine wingspan or something, yeah. Exactly. So I mean, that's kind of where most of the similarities are. There, it's just one guy's a little bit more, um, you know, refined than the other guy, but not by much. I mean, they're pretty close. And I don't want to get to Randy Gregory territory, but that would be like another. Uh, he's not as refined as Randy Gregory. Neither Key or, or him is refined as Randy Gregory, but they do have similarities in terms of body type. From if Randy Gregory was sort of that, if Randy Gregory was an amazing pass rusher, the NFL, which he's been a failure to watch type, but if he was, you know, there would be that sort of thing there, I guess, in terms of the two. Well, I think the main issue, we, we both talked about it. Uh, a lot of people point to the character stuff, and not that that is an issue with Gregory, but he's, he was an underpowered, he was a fairly refined but underpowered pass rusher. He was a guy that Whenever he did have to use power, it wasn't usually a good look. He didn't do a great job of disengaging with power. He didn't do a good job of moving guys into disadvantageous positions using leverage or things like that. He was a guy that had bend and, you know, had some explosiveness and had, as you said, a good amount of refinement even. But sometimes it turns into a fist fight, and he didn't like that part of it. No, 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 no. You know, and he also had some advantageous scenarios. Uh, you know, in particular, Gregory had one game against USC where he was to put it to put this in the best way as possible. Randy Gregory was a six-five, two hundred and forty-pound, you know, edge type, and the USC guy he was going against was like a six-foot-two, three hundred-pound guard, or actually like two hundred eighty-five, two hundred ninety. You know, was kind of a really young guy. Um, and it's like a guard going up against a defensive end. Like, it's not going to end well, you know. Like, it, it wasn't the best situation, but it did highlight a lot of the refinement in terms of hands and stuff like that. Um, but that's really the only real difference between Armstrong. He has Gregory potential, if you, if you want to call it that. He just doesn't have the hand usage of a Randy Gregory. Um, and similar to Gregory, also doesn't, is not the most powerful guy either. Um, which could improve this year, could not. You know, I don't think he has, you know, stomach virus or parasite or something like that. I, I don't know. Uh, or maybe it's because he's at Kansas, which is why he can't put on weight, <laughs> which would be really weird. But, um, but yeah, I, I would say that was just – there's lots of similarities from that extent, you know, kind of being a Gregory type in terms of length and, you know, stuff like that. So I'm actually surprised that there isn't more talk about Armstrong um, – just well, because as, of, as you pointed out, it's the Kansas effect. The, I know, but it wasn't like Randy Gregory was playing at, you know, Alabama, you know, like, that's, that's all I'm saying. Right, like, but, he did play at a big program. People can, people can stomach watching Nebraska, as you pointed out. You yourself, Jim, and you're pretty disciplined, had fights with yourself to make yourself watch Kansas, and you didn't always win that fight. Yeah. Yeah, this, this is Kansas. I mean, there, there was a point 
But th- there was a point at Kansas where, like, there was, I don't know, and, and maybe I should have watched more because of Armstrong, but, like, there was a point where they just had a bunch of defensive prospects I liked, so I watched a lot of their films. Um, yep. That wasn't exactly the case after they left. You know, like, it was, uh, it just kind of got worse. Uh, but the only thing I can't say for Kansas is, I mean, they're kind of getting, now, better in recruiting is, is again, a very it's a relative term. Right. Because what does that mean? That means you're keeping up with the Joneses kind of thing when that doesn't necessarily mean that's good, you know, if you're keeping up with the Joneses. It means that their recruiting operation is like a top-level math recruiting operation. It wasn't even that at some time in the past. Right. They were they were being beaten out by some not exactly big-name programs for some I mean, there were guys choosing to go to North Texas State, Jim, who had chances to go to Kansas. So, so you know. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I and I get that, uh, but it, it's just, you know, it's like with Ole Miss. You know, Ole Miss had that period where they had they had like the number one recruiting or like close to it. Yeah, they had like a top five recruiting group. They, but they when you actually had a had a whole they had a four year run where they were in the top five percent yeah. of families recruiting services you believe in exactly but but when you look back at the, the the classes they didn't really live up to the potential you know um well, you know in terms of like that's like most recruiting but i would just say that that kansas is at least getting more four star and i think you got a five star which was kind of what people were like oh my gosh they got a five star guy so let's demote him to a four star guy because he's going to kansas <laughs> but uh, <laughs> It's the reverse of the Alabama effect where two stars become four stars. Exactly. Uh, but, yeah, that's the only thing I can say for them is they have – and they do have a coach who is, you know, I wouldn't say rah-rah, but, you know, he's trying to, he's trying to project the image. He's a little right. fleckish. He is. He's a yeah. little fleckish. Yeah, he's trying to project that kind of image that, you know, we're not the same Kansas anymore, you know, type of thing. And maybe there, maybe he's right. I mean, Kansas hasn't exactly had a, a Dorrance Armstrong type in a while, um, so no, they're right from not. that aspect. But they I'm still don't have a name that won't mean much to you. But the last one I yeah. remember, uh, well, well before your birth, I guess. What it would come to mind? It's been quite a minute. Uh, it's been what year would that have been? Um, <laughs> probably in the late seventies, I. That's that'd be one of those fun things. Like, who's the leader? Like, certain programs, you know, the history of their school, you know, at Alabama, the history of the guy who leads tackles for losses. It's a name you're going to know, you know, if it's at LSU. It's a, I'm wondering who the guys who lead in things like sacks and tackles for losses and can't. They're probably names I'll know, but they probably weren't guys that became superstars, is what I'm guessing. Probably some decent players in there. And Kansas has had good play. I mean, obviously, the, you know, Riggins and Sayers amongst the running backs, uh, Hadel, and I guess to a lesser extent, Bobby Douglas amongst their quarterbacks. Oh, and, uh, uh, right, Lynn, Lynn Dickey, right? I mean, there you go. He was an above-average NFL quarterback for several seasons. But, yes, I mean, you have to change the mindset. Even if you recruit better, even if you improve the facilities, if you still think to yourself, well, we're, we're Kansas, you're – going to lose 
particularly close games. You know, close games are almost always won by the team that, well, one, obviously, has, you know, prepared better, but 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 also really thinks that they're supposed to win. I mean, it, I know people sort of poo-poo this, but mental attitude is super important in playing football games. Teams that think they're going to lose, lose. I mean, there's no other way to put it. I've been on those teams. I've been on teams that the, there was a team we never beat until a trick play on the last play of the game of my senior year. And in the history of my school, we had never beaten them. That was the first time we beat them in the history of our school. And our school was fairly new. Our school didn't open until 1980. But nonetheless, we had a, you know, at that point it was a, I guess we played tonight. So it took us until the sixth time we played them to finally beat them. And yes, there was a we can't beat these guys thing in our minds, to be perfectly honest, until we we really prepared, we really practiced, we had a few exotics that we could have gone with, and we I think the coaches went with it. I mean, it was a well, I think our coaches outcoached their coaches. I think some of our players had the games of, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. The point is that I know people laughed at P.J. Fleck and people, but John Wooden was laughed at at first, too, people. I mean, at first. Now, in a couple of years, he stopped laughing. People thought that Vince Lombardi was insane at first. A lot of the outlier coaches, the ones that do it differently, get looked at sort of funny. You know, Joe Tiller, if he hadn't won pretty close to right away at Purdue, when I say close to right, I think he went three and eight the first year, but they got good right after that. But if that hadn't happened very, very quickly, when he came and, you know, brought what he himself laughingly called Tommy Ball to Purdue, if he hadn't had any success very, very quickly, that would have been it. Uh, you've got, when you go the other way, when you outlie, when you go away from the crowd, you'd better do something and do it reasonably quickly. But I'm saying that. You do have to burn to some extent the memory or what do you call it, the Yeah. The identity. The whole, the whole hung, sort of yeah. identity and you know, getting over the hump mentally. I mean, because it, it's like anything else, you know, you kind of it's just social like it's you know, we are social beings or human beings, but there is a sense of when you lose the next time you get into a big sort of battle or game, that sense of giving up becomes more, you know, like you gave up before, maybe not gave up, but you lost, and then now another loss comes, and then you just seem to fall back into the same habits of losing, and then you lose again, and then you lose again, and then you just get stuck in a a losing situation where you just keep losing, you know, And, uh, and you just kind of, for whatever reason, your mind kind of tricks you into losing more, you know. Cause you're so used to it. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, but, and, and that's the thing. Kansas has had some surprise wins too. Yeah. Um, so I would say mentally there's a lot of positive stuff there. It's just talent wise. I'm still not sure, you know, on this team in terms of offense and sure. defense definitely has Tyrone Miller, you know, it's kind of an interesting other guy on defense, but I just, you know, I'm just not sure about the team in general. Um, but they at least mentally may be on the right track. But then again, if they keep losing, you know, like that's the sort of thing is that they keep losing, then, you know, who knows what happens. But 
Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I would say that, and, that, and that's the thing too, is Kansas is like any team you want to, you don't want to see a team just be utterly terrible for a, a long time. And I just hope well, that's that this is a complete sadist. Yeah, I agree. Right. And I, that's the one, only one thing I hope about Kansas is they do get better, uh, and stop being Kansas. And so far they're kind of, they're working towards it. They're not quite there, but I I do think they might be closer now than they were, you know, three years ago, four years ago, you know, but, um, but yeah, well, I mean, we'll see. But defensively, I do think that they do have some interesting stuff, just offensively. I just, a lot of guys I tried to watch on offense, again, were injured. So all the kids I was going to watch them, they were not healthy. So it was just kind of throw my hands up in the air going, well, I tried, you know, I gave, I, I, I attempted to do this, you know, I tried. No, I, and I certainly understand that, but it's a challenge. Uh, and that it's a challenge for them, in fact, to, if, if it's a challenge for them and they're part of it, they're inside of it to believe, it's going to be a challenge for us to believe, like I'm going to believe, I'm going to buy into Kansas, I'm going to watch more Kansas, I'm going to believe that there's something worth watching when I watch Kansas. That, that's an investment that they have to get their fan base to make, it's an investment they have to get their players to make in themselves and the, hey, we're not going to be terrible, I mean, you know, how you put it, this is going to be a, a better program in every way, shape, and form. We are going to improve. We are going to, every game, we're going to fight like hell. Every game, people are going to leave here with a limp, you know, all that, all that good stuff. You know, we're going to make make life a living a living hell, whatever it is, you know. Uh, people are going to hate to play us, which has not been, you know, frankly, the, the experience in the past. And if they can set, you know, reasonable goals and actually achieve them, if I mean, no, no coach would say we're, you know, we're trying to win three games. But let's say they do win, or, or hey, they win four games. Even, I mean, that's if you're, you know, if you're Kansas, like, oh, hmm, look at that, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, it, it's, like I said, it's, it, you may not want to get too cocky, you know, having one more game, but it's the kind of thing that makes you think you made the right decision in hiring that coach. There's enough there if you manage to get four victories to say, this okay, we did find the right guy. He is going to improve the, the depth and quality of talent, and you know we're going to soon win more games than that. So, okay, like I said, I think Kansas might have three in the cards, which would be you know kind of exciting news for them. And. One of the places you talk about surprise victories, a, a school that for a long time you could count on for at least one surprise win every year that the good Lord sent was Iowa State for a very long time. At some point, it seems, almost every year you could imagine, at some point, Iowa State was going to knock somebody off. They were going to knock off Texas. They were going to knock off Texas Tech. They were going to knock off, you know, somebody. Somebody that you didn't assume you know, I mean, obviously Kansas was sort of the only sort of sure thing in terms of victories right. on their on their conference schedule, uh, and who knows, maybe that will change. But Iowa but State, Kansas State, Kansas State's mm-hmm. kind of become that Iowa State 
team to a certain, you know, where Kansas State would have, they'd have a game where they would knock off somebody that people wouldn't expect, you know, to knock off versus Iowa State, at least right now. I mean, that seems to be sort of, I think even like, I think back in the Rolodex of like maybe three years ago, we were having a conversation about how Iowa State and Iowa, like two programs going in different directions, I think was sort of the thing. And yep. Iowa was going back and Iowa State was coming up and, and it's just, yeah. So that, yep. <laughs> right. Those, those trajectories did not continue. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. It would be nice to see. That's one of those programs that it would be nice to see them. I mean, obviously, six and six is a big deal there. You know, whenever, whenever, you know, hey, woo, yeah. And I, I used to watch a fair amount of them. I mean, especially in the like Seneca Wallace days, they were fun to watch. I, I will never forget watching Des Bryant struggle against Leonard Johnson. Struggle. Leonard Johnson gave him the flux. With his four seven speed and being about five nine, uh, hundred and seventy something pounds, but asked him about the toughest game, the toughest matchup he ever had in his entire collegiate career. I'll be shocked he doesn't bring that guy up because he he really gave Dez a hard time at the office. I think, was, I think Dez finished like something like three catches or if you're like twenty something, thirty something yards. He he really. You know, and he, he he knew what Des liked to do. He was right in Des's face, despite the fact that, he, you know, like I said, he gave up all this size and all this speed. He was right in Des's face, hip pocket, whatever, almost the entire game. Now, they do have an exciting young coach, right? Matt Campbell is one of those guys that, you know, from the moment you, if you know about the coaching profession, the moment you first spotted him, you thought, okay, yeah, this guy's going to do some things. Three and nine in the first year. Um, not mind-boggling, but this is a program that some people think might go 500. Now, I don't know if that's, you know, quite there. But this is a program that from 90 to 93 won either three or four games every year in that stretch. And then from 2001 to 2005, they won four, sorry, won seven games four times in a five-year period, which, frankly, the Iowa State's getting it done. Um, and then, unfortunately, from 2013 onward, it went three and nine, two and ten, three and nine, and three and nine. So they did have a you know a heyday. Uh, you need to go back to Earl Bruce and his pre Ohio State days to find it, but they were a contender, a legitimate contender, um, since you know in those times. And then since then, you know they've been. You know, not great now, but he, but once again, Earl Bruce was given time. Earl Bruce uh, won four games in his first three seasons and then eight in each of the next three, which is, like I said, getting it done. But now they they have a new, you know, no sure what Thomas said. Um, Alan Lazard is an interesting receiver that doesn't get a lot of, you talk about two who don't get a lot of love. Uh, he doesn't get a lot of love. They have Mike Warren and David Montgomery in the backfield who each have at times, once again, you know, just flashes or, you know, some good runs, but obviously nothing consistent, nothing too substantial. Uh, but they're a team that gave you know Texas Tech a tough time. 
They almost beat Baylor. They led Oklahoma State by 10 in the fourth quarter. They played Oklahoma very close in a 10-point loss. And in a dramatic, you know, come-from-behind loss, uh, but, you know, made it very close at least, uh, gave Kansas State all they wanted. And once Jacob Park took over the quarterback position in the last five games, they averaged 33 points per game and 6.9 yards per game. I mean, per, per game, per, um, per play. So there were some things there. Now, the last time they were a ranked team, you have to go back to the Seneca Wallace days, 2002, they reached the ninth spot in the poll before cratering. Um, they were at 1.7 and 1 and then uh, lost six of their last uh, seven games or something like that. Yeah, so they ended up uh, seven and seven. And if you want to go back to the 81, they actually at one point were ranked 11th and ended up 5-5-1 five, five, that year. And then you want to go back one more time, you, you go back to 72, when you end up 5-6-1, and one, but were briefly ranked number 12. And that's it. Those are the rankings. Uh, well, at least since the... I mean, in the last 50 years, they've been ranked three times. But, yes, yeah, so take me through the, you know, the roster and take me through that team and a lot of optimism surrounding it. Do you think the Cyclones are correct in that feeling of optimism or you know, are they listening past the graveyard? It's tough to say. I mean, I like Matt Campbell. Uh, you know, I liked what he did at Toledo in terms of, you know, the talent that was there and the offense and everything else like that. Um, the team he inherited is interesting. I mean, on offense, I think everybody mostly talks about Alan Lazard, who I like, but he gives off a very uh, Jerron Kreiner vibe. Yes, I don't know if that's the best mm-hmm. way to explain it. But, like, he, no. he's definitely explosive. Um, he can break tackles, but he's not super fast. And he's not, like, super flexible. And his routes are kind of okay. And production-wise, he hasn't exactly hit Pro Bowl or All-Pro thresholds in terms of his market share production yet. And again, I know people are going to go, well, he's at Iowa State. And I would say that's even more of a reason as to why he hasn't hit market share production. He's at (laughs) Iowa State. Right. There's not a lot of competition to produce. Exactly. You you, would expect a guy to kind of and it's not to say his production is terrible. It's starter level. It's just for a guy that's gotten as much, I don't want to say publicity, but there's sort of the camps of he's secretly a top five wide receiver that you don't even know type of stuff. I, I don't quite see that. Right, the best receiver you've never heard of kind of articles, yes. Yeah. Right. I, I just don't think he quite has the film or the stuff on paper to really say that. Is he a decent wide receiver? Yeah. But I do get a, a very drawn Kreiner feel with him. And drawn Kreiner is the type of wide receiver type that comes out a lot. Like Dwayne Jarrett is kind of like that type. Uh, like what's another? Devin Funches is another one of those types of guys. Who are, sure, they're explosive and somewhat powerful, but they're just not super fast, not super flexible. And it really limits you as a route runner to where you just have to have either – work on your technique to the point that despite the fact that you're not very flexible, 
you just work and work and work and work to get to get to get to the point where your routes are, are fairly good, or you just never really improve uh, because you don't just put enough time to kind of overcome some of the sort of limitation. Like it's, it's, it's easy to, to do the things that Antonio Brown and Odell Beckham Jr. do, do when they have the type of flexibility that they have. Uh, it's easier, I should say, you know, to kind of refine some of the things. But when you're not quite that flexible, it does get a little bit more difficult, a lot more refinement, a lot more time. Because there's been guys who have improved. But that's the only thing I would really say is I think Lazar just kind of lacks. He's definitely explosive, but not quite super fast, super flexible. And as a result, he might get pigeonholed a bit as just the big possession receiver type. And then a lot of those guys just kind of fall by the wayside just because they don't well, bring anything. How different is he from a guy like Cooper Cup? Cooper Cup? Well, Cooper Cup is super flexible. That's he's more of a slot kind of guy. Um, Cooper Cup is more of, he does a lot more things. That's what they got to say, Cooper Cup. He's, he's fairly, he's got a, a lot of bag of tricks, you know, to kind of trick you and, because uh, he has to, you know. Yeah. He's not gonna. He's not going to outrun you. Uh, he's not exactly going to drag you in his wake. Uh, or you know, he he kind of has to be more deceptive and kind of you know trick you a bit. Um, Lazar does a little bit of that business. No, no, I mean, he's really just kind of a big possession type. Um, which is, again, nothing wrong with that. I just I just wouldn't really consider that to be something that I would be super excited about. And I was happy that he came back to school, though, because there, there was, like, people pushing for him to come out last year, and, and which he didn't listen to those people, so that, that's a good thing. Um, but, yeah, on offense, he's kind of the main guy uh, that I, I saw a ton of, at least a decent amount of last year. A defense, it's kind of a mess, but they do. I mean, I, you know, Cotton, Moya, the free safety, it's kind of a fun guy. He's a pretty short safety, but I don't carry that bias against short safeties. I think short safeties are people too, um, you know, but I, I think there's some positives there. Brian Peavy at cornerback has gotten a little bit better, uh, but isn't quite that great of a quarterback to be like super excited about, but, but he has done at least enough on paper and on film to kind of keep him in mind. But, uh, but, yeah, there just isn't really a ton of um, stuff right now to really point to at Iowa State, other than Lazard and a couple of their DBs. Uh, but I would say Lazard's probably the the highest sort of prospect there right now. Um, and I think he's more so like a day three uh, kind of wide receiver right now. You know, at least that's if, he, if the draft happened today, I would, I would see him more as like a day three kind of guy. love for any of their offensive linemen? I asked with trepidation. Oh, offensive linemen? Um, I mean, do you have somebody? I mean, I, I can't really <laughs> remember anybody <laughs> on their offensive line. All right, then. <laughs> do you, I mean, again, do you have anybody on their offensive line? 
I mean, I mean, there's guys who I've seen. Uh, I, I want to say that they. I mean, I don't want to praise someone for not giving up or whatever. But I, when I watch bad teams, right? I like to watch mm-hmm. when they're getting you know, their skulls kicked in or whatever. Who's the guy or who are the guys that keep you know going after it? Who are the guys that? Uh, I was going to bring up, and he's just a young kid, so he's not even that eligible. But Hakeem Adeniji, I saw him in the Texas Tech, Kansas State, and Oklahoma games. At some point, against some guy who's probably a better player, he, you know, almost literally fought. I mean, he was he's a he's got a little bit of a streak to him, which which you like. And he's better than once again better in the run game than the pass game, which describes, you know, most of their offensive line as far as I could tell. But he seemed to have good feet, and you know, it's a question mark about just how good he might be long term. But other guys that I noticed, um, he's he's you know sort of a guard, maybe swing right tackle kind of player. And once again, just a sophomore, or uh, you know, so he's very young. We'll see what happens with him. Uh, Daniel Wise was a guy that I noticed a little bit. Uh, they have a little slot-ish kind of guy in Steven Sims Jr. amongst their receiving core. The leader of their defense is uh, Joe Janine Jr., who is smart, um, both football smart and academically a very good student. And Mike Lee is decent. Um, You know, not super exciting. I'm sorry. I'm thinking about Kansas. Good Lord, man. Yeah. Uh, Sorry. Sorry. Iowa State. (laughs) Sorry. For a second, I'm like, Steven Sims Jr. I'm like, wait. Sorry. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Okay, Iowa State. Gosh. Uh, It's funny. Um... (laughs) I have more notes on Kansas players than Iowa State players for the first time, I think, since I've been doing this, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> so I retract my statement. Um, they do have some young guys uh, on Iowa State. They had two interesting-ish young running backs in Kini Nguongo and David Montgomery. Uh, who else did at least catch my eye? I think we talked about Mike Warren a little bit already. He is the most experienced and probably the most talented than running back. Uh, Park is eh, interesting to watch as a quarterback. Uh, Deshante Jones, their little freshman slot, I guess would be a sophomore now, uh, had a couple of good, decent games. Uh, what else is there? No, on their offense. Yeah. Uh, what is there? No, on their offense. Uh, yeah, you're right. I, I take back. Yeah, I take back anything. Oh wait, hold on, hold on. I take it back. Um, okay. There was a guy that got hurt last year. I think really early. Um, Jake Campos is probably their most talented offensive lineman, but he got hurt right in the beginning of last year. 
Right. And they have a kid named Julian Good Jones that I keep hearing things about. And they're excited about David Dawson, the uh, Michigan transfer, a grad transfer from Michigan. Now, right. he, was a, he was a backup at Michigan. <laughs> I mean, he wasn't up there, you know, keeping in skulls because he was Michigan and he wasn't quite a starter. He played some. And, you know, just the very fact that he's from Michigan is probably something that excites him in Kansas. Right. That's funny. I heard I heard good things about Julian Good Jones. Uh, that, that's just kind of yeah. It's a great name, but isn't yeah, it? it's a great name. Yeah. So did, well, who'd you hear the good things about? Uh, good Jones. Yeah. But um. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not saying they're devoid of talent. I'm just saying <laughs> they got Alan Lazard and. Oh well, right. Uh, I mean. The the guy the only guy I have a draftable grade on at this moment yes is <laughs> yeah it would be Lazarus yeah. for the most part yeah, no, yeah. I, I'm agreeing with you there I don't have a draftable grade on anybody else I, I, I you're correct uh, in terms of their defense notes that I had um, their linebackers were not great against the run uh, which doesn't surprise you I, I suppose nope uh. What were they good at? Let's see. Uh, well, they had one decent pass rusher who's just a kid. I think he's either a sophomore or a junior. Jaquan Bailey. Yeah, he's a sophomore. Ju- yeah, sophomore. Okay, they have some JUCO transfers, which we'll see what happens with them. But they're excited about them. <laughs> As uh, always, we're excited right. about our JUCO transfers. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Iowa State has always been friendly to Juco transfers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm just saying it's an evergreen, you know, an evergreen statement to say that you're excited about your Juco (laughs) transfers. Everybody's excited about their Juco transfers. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I agree. And ditto on Kamari Cottonway. And once again, I love that you do not discriminate against short safeties. Reagan Northrop. Uh, showed up a little bit on pay to me, Willie Harvey, though he definitely struggled at the point of attack. At t- when he was able to avoid getting, you know, sort of mashed up, or whatever. Right. You put it. He's a uh, matador oh. linebacker. <laughs> Olay. Right. But when he was right, he was able to avoid people touching him. Uh, showed me some sort of He's good fine. ability. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Exactly. When he wasn't, you know, the horn got to places it shouldn't have gone. Yeah. Right. Yes. You got taken places he didn't want to go against as well at times. That is definitely true. But yes, uh, so so the final verdict on Iowa State was you you don't it sounds like you're not seeing six and six, which I don't either actually. It could happen. I mean Anything can happen, guys. You know, like, uh, but I wouldn't necessarily say that. I they might get to five wins. I mean, if I was being generous, uh, if Alan Lazard became the wide receiver that everybody thinks he's going to become, they could get to five wins. Um, if he doesn't, if he just kind of stays static, then same sort of result. But I do have some faith in, in the quarterback. Well, not the quarterback, the, the head coach. I do like <laughs> Matt Campbell. 
<laughs> I do. I, I I do like Matt Campbell. I liked what he did at Toledo in terms of getting talent there and you know stuff like that. So I think things are on the up and up, but I just don't necessarily think he, it's going to be like a come in there and turn around everything overnight situation. No, that's the only thing I would say. Got it. I got it. And let me see. I guess before I spend the rest of the show on the Texas and Oklahoma schools, we'll get out the the last of the non. And Nebraska, come home. Well, I guess Nebraska's never going to come home. But um, the last of the the non-Oklahoma-Texas schools. Uh, And once again, you know, Colorado, whatever. um, What are you going to do in the Pac-12? What's that going to do for you? But uh, whatever. People don't listen to me. But Kansas State, of course, is one of the more consistent programs in the country. I mean, not just in in that conference, but anywhere. They they go out, they play hard, they play smart, they play good defense. They don't get themselves in good special teams. That's right. Grand Torino or whatever. Yes, I get it. And they always have three or four draftable players who are rarely superstars, but are almost always solid. Uh, Jordy Nelson, you know, obviously being a notable exception. But, uh, Walk me through what you see when you break down that that program's roster and philosophy and what you're expecting from them. Right. Well, surprisingly, I've really liked their offensive line over the last couple, you know, couple years. Uh, I think Dalton, you know, Risner um, showed some things as sort of a decent overall he's the right tackle there he kind of fits again a lot of their tackles have guard body type i get a lot of flack about this but it makes perfect sense to me as a data guy but if you're six foot three or six foot four and you're playing tackle it's not the most ideal spot to be uh you know if you're playing the edge edge position is all i'm trying to say so unless you have jason peter's level athleticism it may not go too well for you is all i'm saying um, and I just feel like he's kind of a better fit inside just because of uh, some of those uh, height certain limitations. But I do like him. I think he plays fairly decent leverage and other sort of uh, sort of components there. And he's also a tough guy. You know, he plays at Kansas State, but, you know, yeah, he's kind of a tough guy too. In terms of their defense, there were guys that I hoped had come back, allegedly, and a couple other guys, but they don't have that. But I I do like DJ Reed a little bit at cornerback. He is kind of all over the place a bit. Uh, he's kind of like a small corner who's also kind of weakish. But I do think he I, he's an aggressive corner, and I like aggressive corners. I just wish he got a little bit stronger, spent a little bit more time in the weight room. But I at least like his go get him type of uh, sort of attitude, I guess, with the corner position. Uh, despite the fact that he doesn't quite have the physical tools to kind of match the scrappy dude syndrome, I guess. But I do kind of like him to a certain extent. Um, I wish Elijah would come back, but that's really all they're working with. And, of course, Brian Pringle at wide receiver showed a couple things. Um, of course, they had a couple of running backs, too, that I remember that were kind of interesting kind of little tough little backs. But uh, but it just seems 
to be the same sort of program that Kansas State usually is, where uh, they just creep up on teams. People forget about them for whatever reason, and then they just, boom, they win, you know. People just assume, Texas, they're not going to lose to Kansas State. Come on. For Texas, they're not going to lose to Kansas And then they lose to Kansas State because that just seems to be partially because of the combination of coaching and also not turning the football over, which is another major thing that they, you know, harp on is not turning the football over. So they win the turnover battle. But, uh, but yeah, I, I don't think there's a ton of stuff. Dalt, Dalton Risner is like the only guy I have kind of a draftable grade on. But I, I am excited to see what they do this year uh, going forward because they usually have a couple tough, you know, little tough, little interesting guys. Of course, Jordan Willis, too might be the next sort of uh might have a Jordy Nelson like career hopefully but is another sort of guy that isn't there anymore but he was a guy who showed off some kind one of the rarest things they had a just for this Kansas State of all places had a 90 plus percentile athlete you know at, at their program which may have been luck but at the same time, the fact that that even happened is kind of a testament to what they're they've been doing there. I guess in terms of up in the level of talent on, the, on that team and athletes. Oh. Okay. So, what do you expect? What do you think might actually play out in terms of the prospects for them this year? Oh. Um... Hmm. Well, you know, like I said, Dalton Risner, I think, probably has a shot to become a guard at the NFL level or a center. And on defense, I think DJ Reed, although I don't have a draftable grade on him, he's one of the DBs I at least like his aggressiveness. I think there's some things there. To kind there's of look a, there's at. a place for him, perhaps, as an investor agency to actually stick, but, but it sounds like you're saying. Right, exactly, for the most part. But as far as, like, this year, those are the only, those are the only two prospects that really stuck out to me from last year at Kansas State. All righty, then. Fair enough. Now it is time to delve and delve deeply into the states of Oklahoma and Texas. So, starting with the much, uh, dis- well, whatever you want to call it, uh, I guess besieged Baylor program, uh, a program that has, frankly, justifiably been much discussed with a lot of, and you know, speaking not just discussed, but maybe we're feeling, feeling disgust about what has gone on in the program, some of the things that have come to light. Uh, they've had some players decommit and some players transfer and things like that. Some people think they might bottom out this year. I think those people, I mean, those you know have bottom out. I still think there's a team that's going to probably win six or seven games, play hard, play well most of the time, and then occasionally get beaten. It's probably a couple of times beaten pretty badly, but only a couple of times, at least I think, but I could be wrong. Tell me what you see when you examine this this team in terms of its composition and talent, and you know about whom are you most excited? Well, surprisingly, most of the guys I'm really excited about are on defense uh, with them. Uh, I 
I really like, I wouldn't say really like, but I like Ira, Ira Lewis, the nose tackle there. Um, he's kind of an interesting sort of big body type of defensive tackle who can move fairly well. He's super raw, though, still kind of raw, but he is kind of a big body kind of guy who kind of has the occasional big play. Um, Davion Hall at cornerback is a guy who made some interesting plays. He's a safety now, but when I was watching him, he was a corner, and he kind of uh, – I think Cortland Sutton's game in particular was a game that he uh, had some fun with uh, with Cortland Sutton. Uh, but, yeah, he he's a guy who kind of stuck out from that kind of perspective. And the other guy that people have been kind of buzzing about is uh, they had a edge safety type there, and I forgot his name, but there was a lot of, like, sort of buzz about him. I, I think he might have declared for the draft. I'm not sure. But they did have kind of an edge safety. They had a lot of edge safety types, to be honest, Bill, um, on that te- on that team, because uh, partially because it's the Big 12 defense where they seem to think edge safety is the new thing, which maybe it is. But, uh, but yeah, I I would say that, for the most part, I like Ira Thomas and I like Davion Hall on offense. I just don't know what that's going to look like. They did get the highest-rated high school quarterback in terms of high school production uh, in – what's his name? Um, got his name. But he was from a Texas high school. But they did get that guy. Uh, but uh, the quarterbacks they have now in Zach Smith and Anu Solomon don't have the best sort of data profiles. So uh, <laughs> they 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 got they got the top high school quarterback. Uh, it's based on data analytics, which nobody does. But the guys that are already there in Zach Smith and Anu Solomon don't quite have the best sort of thing. And I don't think he's going to start his first year either in terms of the, to the quarterback that they got. Uh, and also this offense is going to be – I mean, this is a different team, you know. They're changing stuff. Everything. <laughs> everything yeah. is going to be different. Uh, but So that's why I'm really just gravitating towards the defensive players. And plus all the offensive players that were good left, too. Yes, also. Um, which the NFL – Who changing the guard there? Yeah. The, the NFL offense. is very much wait your turn. You know, with like if they think you left early, like if the NFL thinks you left early, they don't treat you very well. You know, and I think that's the only issue with the well, Baylor guys. Right, if they think you aren't ready, yes. I mean, and frankly, that makes sense. Uh, the NBA should probably adopt a similar policy, where, hey, if a guy's got talent but he just really isn't ready, maybe you shouldn't take him super early. But uh, whatever, that's just me. The um, that's what I'm sort of always reminded. You know. Every time I start to whine about people being, you know, a little too, you know, maybe, you know, being too much in love with raw potential, you know, complain about that with the uh, NFL. And then I watch the NBA draft, I'm like, oh, okay, sorry, NFL. I was a little too hard on you. <laughs> but uh, like I said, I still think Bill's going to be better than people think. Is there anybody amongst the offensive line. I mean, they usually find one somewhere who ends up being good. 
Is there anyone about the offensive line that you think has a chance to be something? Uh, well, I mean, they got some cool names, you know. Um, oh. Tanner Thrift. You, know, you don't hear that name very often. Um, okay. Blake Blackmar. It's like Spencer Drango, right? He's sounds a cool name. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, in terms of offensive alignment, uh, not really. Um, in terms of the guys coming in, I'm not too familiar with, with a ton of them. I think the only offensive lineman that I really gravitated to last year was Kyle, Kyle Fuller, the center. Um, of course, he's in the NFL now. So, i say there's not a ton of um, Baylor guys I was super – most of the Baylor guys I saw just kind of were kind of weakish. And that's the only thing I would say about Baylor offensive linemen is they're not very strong. No. Um, None of them have been. <laughs> At least not since overall. Yeah, I mean, I was going back to even guys like Watkins and Smith who went, you know, early. Those guys weren't strong. Yeah, so it's weird. Their skill position players are super explosive, but their offensive linemen are not that. So it's a it's a weird. Um, it's like, I don't know if they're not going to the gym on the same day. I don't know, but it's like a weird sort of uh, situation, I guess. Well, I, I um, think it's a recruiting breakdown. I, I think for the people who recruit the offensive skill positions, know what they want, recognize here's who fits what we do and, and get those guys on a pretty regular basis. And for some reason, I get the feeling that whoever's involved in the offensive line recruitment you know, probably looking at, oh, this guy's tall, or this guy has long arms, but they aren't looking at what would allow a guy to thrive in their program as an offensive lineman, or they don't care about strength. They just look at guys, well, he'll get stronger. The assumption, well, he'll get strong. Right. Yeah, I, I guess that's the other thing. Um, that's what I have to say about it. It's very change of the guard, like you said. So it, 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 I'm excited about them because I I actually liked their defense last year uh, more than their offense, really. So I, I thought there was a lot of positives there. Uh, they just didn't get the sort of credit that they deserved, maybe. I don't know. But I, I did like their defense, and a lot of their defensive players are back this year. So um, so that that's the one thing I'm kind of excited about Baylor is, is on the defensive side. Got it. Oh, and in your mind, who is the best prospect on the team? Davian mm, uh, uh, Hall, perhaps. I would say it's a toss-up between him and Ira Lewis. Ira Lewis is not is more raw than Hall. That's the only thing I'll say. But if you're one of the people that believes in building up the trenches, then you would go with Ira Lewis. It's you're a guy who's looking for the more refined guy, I would say Hall. It's, it's however you like to do it, I guess, in terms of those two guys. Okay. Got it. And keeping it air-raidish, and I guess pretty much it, outside of uh, Kansas State, and I don't – I think, yeah, Kansas State. I'm trying to think of who isn't running the air-raid in the Big 12. Uh, let's see. I guess everybody's short of Kansas State. 
is running some variant of array in the conference. Yep. Now I think about it. Okay. Keeping up. Wow. Keeping up with the Joneses. <laughs> so, so I guess I was keeping it aerated. Doesn't really give you a lot of information. But jumping over to Texas Tech, a a program on the bubble, a coach on the hot seat, a something on the whatever at uh, at Lubbock. They're either on the verge of having a, a better year, perhaps even a breakout year, or on the verge of the whole, you know, kit and caboodle probably being blown up and starting over with another coach. So take me through who you like and why, and, you know, what are some of the things one should expect or one should see in checking out this school this year? Man, Texas Tech. Honestly, uh, I don't even know where to begin because that defense was one of the worst defenses that I've seen in a while in terms of linebacker talent, defensive back talent. um, It was just pass rushers. Like it was, it was a weird thing where like their linebackers are weak, and they're not really strong enough to really tackle people 100%. Their defensive lineman doesn't really have a guy who can really create pressure, create havoc. Uh, they're just kind of run stuffer types. You really just kind of take up space. And then their secondary, they have a bunch of guys that just kind of run four six and can't really run with everybody, so they kind of struggle there too. So defensively, I just didn't really see a ton of guys that really. Stuck out other than maybe Jay Sean Johnson at free safety was kind of doing the best that he could uh, with what he was given, but that's about it. I this is probably the last year for Mr. Cliff Kingsbury. Um, I, I hate to say that because I like his style, but that's really all that was there with style. It was. Um, <laughs> And, you know, the offense is – it's an air raid offense. Um, I didn't – I didn't really think it was – I don't know. I'm not going to say, like, oh, he wasn't as innovative or whatever. Like, I just really didn't think there was a ton of advancements or whatever. Like, it's his own little version of it, but it just really didn't go anywhere. And I think the biggest issue that he's had at Texas Tech is building up the other team's the other things on the offense other than the offense, you know, like the defense has consistently been really bad under Cliff Kingsbury. hasn't gotten any better. It's still going to be bad. Like, I just don't think it's going to be better. And your best quarterback prospect that you've had there is now on the Kansas city chiefs and Patrick Holmes. Um, and of course the other guy, Baker Mayfield who's on Oklahoma. So I don't, I think this might be the year that Cliff Kingsbury ice the dust. So wow, and because I mean, what else are you going to do? That defense, and you saw that defense, Bill. It was t- t- terrible. It was everything that everything that I hate about modern college defenses is there. You know, um, in terms of the, you know, again the linebackers that are small, undersized. But even though they're small and undersized, they're not fast enough to really cover people that well. 
not strong enough to really tackle people either. Uh, same thing with the secondary, same thing with the defense that isn't really strong enough to really do much in terms of pass. Rate. So, like, it's, it's just a – I don't know. You know, so I, I just don't think this team – and in many ways, you know, they were five and seven, but a lot of those wins were Patrick Mahomes, you know. Just him doing right. a little bit of magic, right. a little bit of Patrick Mahomes magic. If Patrick winning, Mahomes was winning not there. To, winning some 62 to 61 games. <laughs> exactly. If Patrick Mahomes ain't there, then it's, do they, they win that a game? 62 to 48. Yeah, right. I got it. Do they win a game if Patrick Mahomes isn't wow. there? That's the real question. I don't know about that. So that's my worry. And that should be his worry, but I don't think the defense is going to get to be there. He hasn't done any. The basically the only way to put this is that he has not proven in his entire time at Texas Tech to improve the defense by any measure in any season. That's not going to change. So I really don't think they're going to get much better. They're probably going to be at worse. I think yeah, this is pretty much the end for Cliffy in Lubbock. So the, wow. the end is near for Ryan Gosling. <laughs> well, that will make the ladies um, of Lubbock somewhat sad, I would think. So with that having been established, sorry, kids, uh, then let's that's, that's keep chugging along. So... The University of Texas, which was once, you know, the flagship uh, for a very long time, you know, obviously peaking during the DKR, DKR, you know, the royal run. Rebecca well was one of the great coaches in the history of the game and you know, one of the great programs in the history of the game. As Texas was consistently good throughout his time and, you know, remained good, competitive, solid, above average, very good at times even, you know, under other coaches. and But obviously not quitting, getting back to the Daryl K. Royal standard, uh, which is a tough standard to meet. But the last few coaches have been there. Obviously, Matt Brown had a lot of success, and then there was sort of a comfort that both he and and the coach and the coaching staff and then the players all seem to sort of settle into that wasn't exactly, you know, sort of a Spartan, you know, kind of mentality. Uh, but like I said, they had a good amount of success. Uh, you know, the numbers speak for themselves, and they did win the national championship. Then the Charlie Strong era was over very quickly, and I do understand it. I do wish that people were a little more patient. With coaches, I mean, all of the Mount Rushmore coaches, you know, with very few exceptions, would not be on Mount Rushmore if it were not for the fact that they were given time to build their programs. You know, at year four, Beamer and Paterno and a bunch of the guys that people think of as amongst the greatest coaches of all time were at or below 500 and given that, you know, that time to fully implement. But nonetheless, uh, they got they got who they wanted. There's no way to put it. Uh, they got they got the 
you know, they got the player they wanted. They got the um, they got Coach Herman. They got the the prettiest girl of the dance. However you want to think of it, they got the coach that everyone saw as the coach. He was the coach. Um, there wasn't a major job that was available that didn't at some point have his name linked to it, it seemed like. So, one, what do you think that means, you know, actually landing Coach Herman? And two, so the two-parter, who are the players that one should be watching for Texas this year? Well, as far as Tom Herman goes, he's still a bit of hype. You sure. know, uh, there, there isn't a lot of, like Cliff Kingsbury, there's a lot of hype, not a lot of yeah. sizzle yet. But I do like his approach from most of the people that you and me have both talked to. Uh, you know, he at least takes the approach of, at least in terms of he's more embracing of analytics and data. He's more embracive of, you know, embraces a lot of the things of, you know, we're not going to be like everybody else. When he was at Houston, at least, it was sort of the mantra of we're not going to be like everybody else, so uh, let's do things differently, you know. So a lot of the things of, a lot of the classic recruiting strategies of recruit within our area type of stuff, which a lot of teams have gotten away from, you know. They've tried to become more international with their approach. He's like, no, you know, screw that. Let's get back to that approach. Let's get back to the approach that a lot of other teams do. There's a ton of talent in Houston, you know. Houston, yeah, um, Texas is one of the most talent-rich areas. Exactly. a top five to share the most talent-rich so, areas in the country. Yeah. Why Why are we trying to go to Florida and go here and go there and compete with Ohio State and Michigan when we should just try to compete to keep the guys that are in our, you know, in our area, in our state? which is a smart, you know, again, trying to do things different from everybody else. Because um, a lot of teams have gone away from their even teams. I mean, it's not to say that, like, Kansas State, who we just talked about, and other teams like that aren't trying to keep guys in their area, but their guys are even trying to, like, oh, let's look at what the JUCO thing is doing. You know, like, they're trying to hit that area. They're not quite doing what traditional recruiting strategies have always been, which is, to get the guys in your area, your guys, that type of thing. Um, and at least embracing the idea of, hey, you're from Houston, play at Houston, you know, type of attitude. And then backed it up with having a winning team at Houston, you know, um, <clears throat> which helps as well. So I do yeah, like it from that kind of – It's easier to sell people on it if – like if it tastes like cod liver oil, it's harder to sell it on. But if it, hey, if it tastes like pizza – <laughs> and he made all that stuff, all let's be different, let's do it this way, it tastes like pizza. So people were a little more willing to line up for it. Exactly. So I think that's the main I, – I think Charlie Strong was just fired a little too soon, you know. I don't know. Um, there was a lot of I, – I think there's a lot of weird – there's a lot of weirdness, though, where the stuff at Baylor happens, right? And people, you know, go, oh, my gosh, Baylor is so bad. You know, they're a bunch of little Caligulas there, right? And then you have a coach yeah. who is trying to take a stand against a lot of that stuff, 
you know. Um, and yeah, he criticized his policy on that stuff, and he got rid of anybody who did anything close to that. No, exactly. I'm going to talk to you. No, I'm going to sit you down. No, you're going to miss games or a season. No, you're just gone. You're gone. And yet the he got backlash for that from the same people that are going, there are a bunch of Caligulas down there in Baylor. He gets backlash for trying to prevent stuff like that. Blows my mind, you know, in terms of, you know, well, he kicked all the recruits, so we're scaring away recruits, you know, that's why we're not good because of these guys, you know, stuff like that. Um, whatever, you know, <laughs> but Trey Stark is not there anymore. But I do like Tom Herman, uh, at least in terms of how he thinks as a coach, how he, you know, strategy that he's trying to do. I think that might mesh well with Texas. That has been kind of, I don't, you know, they, their recruiting has been, uh, to be honest, very odd. Um, very insular. Very, yeah. Uh, you know, very sort of wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Right. I mean, as you know, and as we both know, it was very much built around relationships where certain big programs, big, successful, traditional powerhouse Texas programs, would say, hey, here's who we're sending you, basically, you know. Right. And they would graciously accept them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, definitely. I mean, that definitely was a lot of that approach, but – or had names and stuff like that. Because I, I remember they were doing the whole, you know, David Ash and all these other sort of, you know, Colt McCoy and all these other kind of cool-named guys. Um, but that doesn't mean that they're good football players, you know. And then, of course, you had all the backlash of, uh, you know, Jameis Winston sending his tape there, and Johnny Manziel sending his tape there, and then they don't, they turn him down, you know. I think even Baker Mayfield sent this thing to, uh, to I, I mean, he probably did. Um, and of course, poo pooing that, you know, which at this point, you're like, they would love to have Baker Mayfield. Um, everybody would in the Big 12. But, um, but yeah, I, th- I think so far, like just looking at the team from a talent perspective, it's interesting. Uh, Connor Williams at the left tackle there. I don't think Connor Williams is bad. I like his hand usage. I think he's a good run blocker. Um, he has at least enough explosiveness to kind of hang with people, but he's not super fast. He's very much a in your short area kind of guy, like in the vicinity sort of get, you know, basically if he gets his hands on you, you're done. But he's also had certain games I remember specifically where he went up against certain guys that had speed and he wasn't exactly able to match that 100% when he came up against those certain types of guys. That's a funny way to talk about a slam dunk top 10 pick. I'm sorry about it, but – and also he doesn't quite have the body type of – um, of a, a slam dunk top 10 pick. I mean, if you're talking about a slam dunk top 10 left tackle, right? You're talking about somebody who's like six foot seven, six foot six, 320 pounds, uh, probably runs five flat, probably has a really good looking girlfriend. You know, um, Connor Williams is like six, five, 320 pounds. And he's not – he doesn't even seem as athletic as Zach Martin either because I, I do know there has been some – I mean, there's similarities. I mean, again, hand usage-wise, very good hand usage. 
uh, you know, in terms of like when he gets his hands on you, he's able to lock down and get good leverage. Um, but it's just a matter of like the reason why explosiveness and speed is something to, to look at when it comes to edge guys is because when they get into the NFL, they're going to be going up against Khalil Mack. They're going to be going up against, you know, these super duper athletic edge rusher types. And you can't really get your hands on Khalil Mack if he gets you from the jump. You know what I'm saying? So that's my only big worry with Connor Williams. I just think body type wise, he fits more inside than he does at tackle. And yeah, I don't really think that's a, a top 10 pick. If you think he's a slam dunk top 10 pick, I mean, that's cool. But I, I just don't um, think of him that way. He has very good PFF grades. I do know that. PFF really likes him. But uh, but I, I just think there's some physical limitations with him um, when it comes to NFL level. Um, but yeah, so they got him. Uh, and on defense, they got Malik Jefferson, and this is the only thing I could say about Malik Jefferson, too. Texas fans aren't going to like me, but he's a bit of failure-to-launch type of linebacker, production-wise, because he is a tremendous athlete. He's very Miles Jackish, where like He's a really great, at, you know, explosive, fast, all that kind of stuff. But he's not quite produced like a Ray Lewis like a Luke Keekley, like, you know, any of the other sort of top Navarro Bowman, Patrick Willis types. He's certainly as athletic as those types of guys. But so far he's hanging out with about a 44 uh, solo tackle market share score, which doesn't really hit Pro Bowl thresholds, doesn't really hit all pro thresholds, which Pro Bowl thresholds is about 77 out of 100. All pro thresholds is about 91 or higher. Um, so he is a great athlete, but there's a disconnect when it comes to his production. He never he has not produced like a special linebacker as much as he just has special linebacker athletic traits. And maybe that might improve this year, but that's the only main criticism I have for Jefferson. He just has not he has not produced like an elite linebacker, despite what some people say about him. And then the other guy I like is Puna Ford, the nose tackle there. I think he's a decent Overall, a little nose tackle, kind of a stubby um, kind of guy, but it's kind of fun, kind of moves well for his size. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and, and, of course, they have uh, Shane Bichelle, a quarterback who is interesting as well. Um, but uh, they, I don't really know. I mean, I would say the top prospect there is Connor Williams and then Lake Jefferson, but I just think that those are guys I wouldn't necessarily say are slam duck top 10, top 20 prospects because of Connor Williams is more just because of physical limitation and then Malik Jefferson is more so based on the fact he just hasn't produced like a elite linebacker so he's not exactly you know just because you're just because you have the athleticism of an elite linebacker doesn't necessarily mean that you are an elite linebacker and that's kind of where Malik Jefferson is right now uh, and he could change that this year but that's he just hasn't proved uh, on paper, that he can be that type of guy yet. Right. And you, it's interesting because you would think that the quote unquote just watch the tape types would be the ones that would notice that he's not doing the things that guys like Ray Lewis or he is just that even Navarro Bowman or Jonathan Doma or whatever did on tape in terms of plays they made, how they made them, recognition, things like that. Uh, 
people don't often talk about the Texas Receiving Corps. Um, tell me about the Texas Receiving Corps. Huh. Uh-oh. Well, John Burt. Yes. Can do some things. Yes. I keep hearing he's very explosive um, and talented and, you know, he's been a guy that people have been expecting to break out and things like that. Hasn't happened yet, but yeah. No, uh, yes, not. But he's the only guy who at least has fringe starter production so far in terms of their wide receiver group. And film-wise, there are some interesting things with John Burt, too. But he's not even listed as a starter right now. So, I don't know. Um, I can't really say much about the wide receiver core right now. Uh, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but um, I I think a lot of that, eh, I don't know. But I do think the offense that Tom Herman is going to do is going to be very wide receiver friendly. That's that's one thing I would say. Uh, In terms of featuring everybody, a lot of his offenses are, you know, very spready, very um, not super spready, but definitely kind of featuring most of the guys, using everything you got type of offense, you know, using your fullback, using your tight end, everybody, everybody's going to get, you know, you get the ball and you get the ball. Everybody's going to get the ball type offense. So I think that will kind of be highlighted the most, but I don't really think there's one wide receiver who really sticks out unless you have somebody in mind. Um, But I don't know. We have lots of guys that, like I said, you keep hearing, you know, so-and-so did this in practice. You know, that kind of thing. So like, you know how state wide receivers say, so-and-so did so-and-so in, you know, T-shirts and, and shorts. But there is lots of optimism, I guess, is what I'm saying. So how do you wide receiving court? We'll see. They supposedly have, you know, a bunch of fast guys, like you're hearing, and they're, you know, putting it all together or going to put it all together. I think. Oh. Well, when they put it all together, uh, you know, call me. <laughs> yes, right. Let me know. Yes, right. Exactly. Well, that's this is this is you know as you know this is a, a common refrain. We all, we always hear about you know this guy who is about to put it all together and and some of them do. I mean, it does happen, but obviously more often than not they do not put it all together. Putting it all together is harder than people think. I, I think people neglect to realize. Yep. That putting it all together is super hard. Very hard. Very hard to put it all together. That is very much true. Remember when uh, Pharaoh, um, what's his name, the tight end from, he got hurt, I guess, but. Oh, um, me, Pharaoh Brown from Oregon. Yeah, remember when he was the next big thing at tight end? He was about to put it all together, and we were about to see yeah. a, a tight mean, end with a legitimate chance to go in the top five to ten picks of the draft one day and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That guy whose production wasn't that great ever. Um, no. Yeah. And, and getting hurt didn't, didn't improve it, obviously. No. Oh, no, 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 no. That didn't help at all. No. But maybe you'll put it all together in the NFL. Because if you don't put yeah. it all together in college, then you'll put it all together in the NFL. Yes. Well, speaking of my favorite refrain, he'll, better, he'll be a better pro. 
That's another thing people don't realize exactly. how unusual and hard that is. Doesn't happen that often. No, it hardly ever times, happens. A lot of times what you did in college is kind of the player you're going to be in the NFL. A lot of times. Most of the time. More often, more often than not, yes. Far more often than not. I just don't think people get have a real sense of just how rare it is. And that's maybe that's something, maybe it's an article for us to co-write, but just how unusual it is that a guy is truly better as a pro than he was as a collegiate. Because I'm willing to bet the list is actually pretty darn short. Exactly. And besides that, that ignores the fact that, well, everybody gets better from college to the NFL. I mean, everybody. Tom Brady's a better player than he was in college. Peyton Manning's a better player. That would be probably one of the classic examples that people would bring up. (laughs) J.J. Watt's better in, you know, in the NFL than he was in college. Like, basically all I'm trying to say is everybody when they go to the NFL is going to develop. Like, Ray Lewis just didn't come to the NFL, and then he just that was it, you know, like he definitely got better. Ed Reed got better. All these great players got better. It's just the fact that when they got to the NFL, they were already that great. And then they got better, you know? So, yeah, but every, everybody, everybody's going to develop, but to leapfrog somebody who's already developed at a higher level. But when people, is, people, are, they're talking about guys who are like meh in college, but are yeah. going to be really good pros. <laughs> That's the thing that I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. Don't you I worry know. about that. Don't you worry. Don't worry about him. He's going to put it all together in the NFL. He's saving himself for the NFL. That's the other one. That's the other narrative I hate, saving himself for the NFL. It's like, you, you, and plus it ignores the logic. Do you really want somebody on your football team who is saving himself? You know, like I, uh, well, he's saving himself for the playoffs. Right? Well, he's saving himself for the Super Bowl game. You know, like what is, what is the next thing someone's going to save himself for? Exactly. Yeah. So that's somewhat ludicrous. Uh, okay, so we have a decent idea of what to expect from Texas. Uh, I think the over and under for a lot of people is right around nine wins or so. I think that's probably fairly accurate. I think eight or nine wins is probably what they should and could expect. Anything less than that, they'll probably be a little bit disappointed. If somehow they get more than that, Tom Herman will be hailed as a genius, sort of like with Harbaugh. Um, Once again, with the, you know, people somewhat forgetting that somebody did a lot of the work that helped them. A lot the the kids with really bad character have been run off already. And whatever he's going to say about Charlie Strong, he did a pretty good job of stocking the water with talent. So, Yep. But you can't lose to Kansas, and you can't lose to Kansas State. <laughs> no, I, it, you know, I can't. Okay. can't happen. Those things. You cannot do those things and survive. That is, that is, that has been proven now in case you – didn't know do not pass go. Do not show up to press conference. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. You might get kiffins if that happens. Yep. So staying obviously in the great state of Texas, uh, which is shot full of football programs, great and small. 
there are expectations. I mean, there's a gym there. You know, you can't play football in a conference like the Big 12 or any conference, really, and not have expectations. Now, some expectations are uh, tempered, some are realistic, some are not, as we sort of reviewed. Uh, there are some fan bases that they don't want to hear it. There are no reasons, only excuses in their minds. But like I said, there's some programs where they seem to, I don't want to say get it, but I don't know if that's, maybe that's the proper phrase to use, that, you know, this is a, a process and we're, we're traveling together. We're, you know, we started here, we've moved from here to this point, and now we're going to try to move from this point to this other point. And we're okay if it takes us a few years. Now, admittedly, that's not common, but it happens. There are places where you do see the understanding that, you know, we're not going to wake up, you know, in a few weeks and suddenly, you know, we're, 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 we're putting it to Urban Meyer's Ohio State team in the national championship or whatever it is. There are, there are programs that understand the more gradual approach. And those programs are fewer and fewer, as we just mentioned, uh, more and more, except that, you know, like I said, if you're, um, you know, if you're at Kansas or if you're at Iowa State, they, they understand that. If you, if you win three or four games this year and you win five or six next year and seven or eight the year after that, people will understand and they'll be thrilled. And once again, you know, you can probably look for a contract extension. There are other programs, we've talked about Texas, where they'll give you one year, basically, and then they want to see about nine, ten wins. And then if that doesn't happen, well, now, you know, you're on the ever-popular hot seat. And then they'll give you maybe one more year to get off that ever-popular hot seat. And then now, at that point, they're waiting for the triggering event. They're waiting for, as you said, to to Kansas or somebody. You know, that loss that cannot be countenance. You know, we cannot unsee that loss or unknow or unfeel or whatever it is, that particular loss. That loss is the fatal loss. But uh, that being said, the um, Big 12 Conference is a conference that has, for one, only uh, only 10 members. So, I mean, I'm not going to keep rubbing it in, but, you know, somebody do something about this. And uh, I, I'll never understand the whole, you know, machinations with, what did and didn't happen with Houston and, you know, whoever the other team might have been, UTEP, SMU, whoever it is, I don't know. But Rice, somebody. The, um, but, yeah, the fact is it is it program that definitely has a sense of – when I talked about the Big Ten and you had, for many years, Michigan, Ohio State, everybody else, for a long time in the Big Eight, you know, the forerunner conference, you had Nebraska, Oklahoma, and everybody else. Obviously, Oklahoma's not going to come to that door anymore. But we do have Texas Christian, who at one point were seen as a, you know, second tier or whatever. They were looked as a uh, mid-major, whatever term you want to use, play right. and things like the Mountain Conference, what have you. And so when they made the jump, people were concerned. It's like, well, you know, they don't have the depth of talent. They don't have, you know, this, this other thing, whatever, and, you know, they're going to struggle. And not that there was nothing to that, but Texas Christian is a really solid program. 
with a terrific coach, a, a top five coach in my mind, or top five to ten coach at least. And, you know, I think easily a top ten coach. What are some of the things that you're expecting from Texas Christian, and who are some of the players that you have circled? Right. Uh, well, t- well, TCU, TCU is an interesting program because I liked a lot of their players from last year. They just didn't win as many football games as I thought they were going to win. Right, um, right. But to their credit, they didn't lose their mind. You know what I mean? We right. didn't suddenly hear that he was on the hot seat. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, they got they got they got Kenny Trill. You know, Kenny, Kenny Trill. Kenny Trill still there. Um, hasn't quite reached the height that he did the, the first game of the year. You know, type thing. Um, He's another guy that if you wanted to put together a bunch of gifts. You can find some very you find some fun cool gifts. Stuff. You yeah. can find some nice, some cool stuff. Yes. If you're but a gift scout, you can find some gifts. But his decision making is just not quite nope. developed. Um, best way to say it. And that's just a big thing is his decision making. He has the arm to pretty much do everything he wants, but yep. his decision making is good athlete. And a good athlete, but. Decision making, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an adventure. It's an adventure. He's talented though, but I, you know. But yeah, what I like the I like the offensive line there. Um, I think Joseph uh, Note Boom is a decent left tackle. Has decent speed. Um, be very surprised. They they, do, they had a lot of different plays where they were having him pull and get out in space and stuff like that. And he's not bad in those situations. Um, Austin uh, Schlotman at center also was fairly decent. That prior kind of a poor man's kind of guy. But I like the offensive line. I like what they were doing there. Uh, I think Kyle Hicks at running back is kind of underrated as a receiving back. I think he get, you can do a little bit of everything. It's sort of a space back, pass catching back, and was able to make some plays uh, from that kind of perspective. Wide receiver, I think the best-ish wide receiver I saw was John D'Arcy a little bit. He's kind of a big-bodied kind of receiver. Of course, Taj Williams kind of did some things, but John D'Arcy was the only sort of wide receiver that really kind of stuck out, but he's still kind of rawish when it comes to routes. But I like their offense. I think the offensive line is good. I think the Kyle Hicks at running back is kind of very underrated and I, I, I think Kenny Hill is Kenny Hill, but maybe some good things happen there. And defensively Traven Howard is, is kinda of interesting at linebacker, although he's really, really undersized, but he can hit. That's yeah, what that's Yeah. He can hit. He can he, hit though. Yes. That is the thing now. I mean we're living in a world of 216-pound linebackers, Jim. I've just had to accept it. <laughs> I know, but I find it kind of funny. That's the thing. I never quite, when I do my evaluations of linebackers, I never have a sort of, the sort of he can hit. Like, I don't have that as something I put in my grading system. Maybe I should, because 
that seems to be all linebacker coaches kind of rave about is he can go sideline to sideline and he can strike. You know, that sort of thing. Um, which, don't get me wrong, I, I do understand what they're talking about when you're talking about like a Patrick Willis, you know, calling up or a Bowman calling up or a Ray Lewis, you know, basically, you know, dropping the hips and then exploding, you know, forward into a guy. I, I get that. But sometimes these guys aren't really doing that. They're just running very fast and then the momentum takes them into the hit, you know? Um, yes, correct. Not a lot of thing. form there, just a lot of yeah. momentum, as you said. A lot, a lot of, of momentum. Mass and acceleration. And hit or miss. There's a collision and, oh, you know, people fall down. Hit, yeah, hit or, hit or miss, uh, very much so. Howard is not necessarily that, but that's the only I can say. He's a little undersized, but he can hit. Uh, and his production was fairly decent as well. It was at TCU, but nevertheless, it was it was decent. I think there's some positives there with him, at the very least, that he could uh, potentially be um, whatever the NFL decides to do. I don't know what they're doing at the linebacker position or defense in general. They just have to adapt. But I think in a world in a world where linebackers are 220 pounds, um, well, I, I doubt that. But in that world, if it ever happens, I think he might fit that fit in that world kind of well. Uh, of course, Nico Small at free safety. They had a couple plays here and there that I kind of liked. And of course, Nick Orr also kind of made some plays here and there that I liked. But um, but defensively, there wasn't a ton of things I was super-duper excited about, other than Traven Howard kind of stuck out. But they didn't quite have like a, uh, a Jason Verrett kind of guy, you know, on the defense, um, you, know, in ter- you know, in terms of that type of level of talent. But I do like Howard. But everything really – it's funny because it's TCU, but I'm more interested in what they have on offense than on defense. I, I think they just have – offensive line-wise, I think there's lots of things there that are interesting. Of course, Colix I think is cool. And I think um, offensively they have a lot of things that I really like a little bit more than what they have on defense prospect-wise. Soccer headlines. Baylor's defense as offense, and you're more interested in TCU's offense than defense. Yeah, it's it's like that, but I, I you know that's just the prospects I was drawn to. So um, they just seem to have a little bit more talent. Maybe it was the thing of maybe it was the thing of like, well, we know we have a great offense, so let's focus our recruiting on defense, and then they. It just kind of went by the wayside. I, I I really don't think. I mean, I I still like TCU's defense. I just don't quite think they have like a special defensive talent there, you know. Uh, which you know most teams don't. But I, that's the only thing I would say. Defensively, it's very much a team defense. But there isn't quite a guy re- who really sticks out as like, gotta have that guy. I guess in terms of their uh, defense. Oh, uh, Bill, are you still there? Very much so. A program that you uh, liked a few players from last year and a program that I have to constantly remind myself is in the Big 12. And you explained it as saying, you know, it's the Yeehaw Conference or whatever, or Yeehaw, Yeehaw Conference, and that 
that by that they qualify and that there are people who would watch Yeehaw in their state. But, the, but yep. uh, the, just travel-wise, geographically, it's a nightmare, but okay, fine. They like it, I love it. Uh, West Virginia is obviously the easternmost program in the Big 12, which is the Texas and Oklahoma Conference with contributions from Iowa and, of all people, Kansas and West Virginia. Um, tell me a little bit about West Virginia and who are some of the, the players that you are excited about and interested in seeing how they how they develop. Right. Uh, I mean, the best way I would the, – the best way I might put it, even though Davy Crockett is not from West Virginia, <laughs> you know, it's sort of the the guy that – I mean, you know, Tennessee, West Virginia, close enough, but not really. But, yeah, I mean, that it's the Yeehaw Conference, you know, and if they change I, – I don't know. I agree with you. I think the whole Big Ten – Big 12, they just need to call them something different, like what the SEC is doing, you know? Like Southeastern Conference makes sense. ACC, Atlantic, you know, Coast Conference, right? Makes sense. Big 10, Big 12. Midwest Conference, yes. (laughs) Right. Big 10, Big 12, you're boxing yourself in. You know, you're putting a quota here. You got to have 10 teams. You got to have 12 teams. Because then when you're not the when you don't have 12 teams or big or 10 teams, just rebrand, you know, again, not, maybe not Yeehaw conference, but the Southwestern conference, right. Which West Virginia, what makes sense, but it, it at least would make more sense in terms of, you know, uh, Midwestern, of course, that's already taken sort of. Um, but yeah, I think in terms of West Virginia, they have, they have some things I like, uh, going into this year that are to be continued, I guess, a bit. I mean, Karan White at wide receiver kind of popped a little bit on film but didn't quite put it all together, so to speak. Uh, well, that's on de- familiar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. On, on defense, another White, Kaiser White, uh, who's kind of their edge yeah. uh, sort of edge safety type um, showed some interesting stuff, but didn't quite put it all together. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I like some of their offensive linemen, but most of those guys got drafted running. They had, they had fun. I mean, Justin Crawford at running back was kind of fun um, a, a bit. And the quarterback they have there in Will Greer which there are know, some people who think he might end up being the best quarterback in the conference. Now I am not quite in that camp, but there's some people Baker who really feel like career. I mean, he's not Baker Mayfield, but he could, Norm I mean, he makes he's, Rudolph. Yes. he's good, but there's just a bizarre thing. I mean, if he becomes a really good NFL quarterback, which is, you know, based on his high school production, it'd be a good happen if he has a, a breakout year this year, but it would just be kind of a bizarre thing to have a guy who leaves the program because of testing positive, you know, for substances and stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, what I remember of Will Greer, he looked interesting, but it was sort of a wait and see kind of thing with him. 
you know, when he was in Florida. And then that all, and then all that stuff happened. And then bye bye, see you later, sayonara type stuff. So, and also this offense is kind of interesting. Um, they they've not quite had a Will Greer at quarterback. And I'm not saying that Wilger has like a cannon for our arm or anything like that, but he does have a little bit more arm strength than what they're, you know, from the Clint, from the Clint Trickett, right? Clint Trickett, Taylor the, Howard. Yeah. yeah. You got to go from back to Geno Smith, right? The last time I got yeah. to basically all the throws. Exactly. And I think Wilger might be interesting from that perspective in terms of what they do with the, uh, with the offense. But, um, but that, yeah. But, I mean, for the most part, Karan White has, you know, there's some stuff there. Kaiser White, there's some possible potential stuff there. And I think Wilker is probably the top prospect, to be honest. Uh, But he's not exactly somebody that I would put – I wouldn't put him over – my top 10 quarterback right now, basically like my top 10 quarterbacks right now are basically set in stone. And then he's just coming kind of outside looking in, you know, in the rain, you know, let me in type thing, you know, but um, unless he does something this year, if he has a big year, then yeah, but he's at this point, he's just kind of on the outside looking in for the most part, but he's not big Mayfield. So it's very, I mean, Baker Mayfield sets the bar pretty high for such a short man. But it's pretty high, so that'd be that'd be very it'd be very interesting if he did. But I don't think he's going to be as good as Baker Mayfield. That's all we have. Check out Will Greer. Okay, got it. And for the team as a whole, what do you think? You know, the future holds for West Virginia in terms of how the the season might play out. Well, <clears throat> excuse me. I I like I like the team. I think they'll win. I think they'll be somewhat contenders because I like Holgerson. Uh, I I like what he's doing on offense. I like what he's doing on defense because the difference between him and Cliff Kingsbury is that Holgerson actually has been able to put a band of decent defensive play. You know, like he's been able to recruit defensively a lot better than, say, Cliff Kingsbury, and, while also focusing on some offensive parts. So I think they'll still be amongst the top five in the big, uh, you know, in the Big 12. I think they'll be in that in that top five range of teams. But I just don't quite think they're going to be, like, winning the conference or anything else like that. But I do think that they'll uh, be at least a solid program. Got it. And... That brings me to, I think the two best teams in the conference are still all in, both in the state of Oklahoma. Now, I could not be wrong, but I think that whoever wins the, you know, big bedlam wins the Big 12, which was somewhat the case last year. I think will be equally the case this year. So we'll start with Oklahoma State, that school in beautiful Stillwater. Home of Eskimo Joe's, where the whole term Logan Eat at Joe's comes from. So tell me about Oklahoma State. Obviously, they have two players that I really, really like, and a running back that is sort of intriguing as well, and some guys on defense. 
But tell me about uh, what, who you've noted and who is of note in your mind for the Cowboys. Well, the top guy in my mind is James Washington. Um, yes, sir. And I know, and I know there's been sort of a debate about who's better, Mason Rudolph or James Washington. And I've been on the side of James Washington, you know, as the best guy, because I just think just in terms of, you know, route running, um, just being sort of a deceptive wide receiver, he's very good in terms of things, very good in terms of using his hands to get off press. Um, and it's physical. Like, he just has all the sort of things that you're looking for uh, in a very good uh, wide receiver. Um, you know, West Coasty kind of wide receiver uh, for the most part. So, like, he brings a lot of that to the table. Uh, and the only things I think he really should improve upon a little bit is, uh, you know, deep sort of intermediate routes a bit. Sometimes with some of those option routes, he kind of makes the wrong decisions at times, at least some, some of those decisions kind of running his routes into coverage at times. But other than that, he pretty much brings to the table everything you're looking for in terms of a, you know, a, a very good, uh, you know, sort of. Uh, he kind of reminds me of uh, that one wide receiver from, um, I don't know if it was Mississippi State or Ole Miss, but uh, he was a '90s wide receiver. But he he definitely has all the sort of things you're looking for. Mason Rudolph, on the flip side of things, in Pete Smith's words, he's everything that Browns people like in a quarterback in that he's big, tall, white, and immobile. You know, um, it's sort of the the sort of the the sort of things about him. But based on all the stuff on paper, he hit the high school production marks and he's a hit. He hit the college he hit the college marks of a Pro Bowl quarterback, uh, and Film-wise, the only thing I'd really like him to clean up and get better at is just in terms of his accuracy, in terms of deep ball accuracy and intermediate accuracy. He's not always on point when it comes to deep and intermediate accuracy. I kind of misses some of those throws, kind of overthrows a little too much uh, for my liking. But he does have at least a good amount of stuff, a good combination of stuff to where I'd feel comfortable with him you know, with the potential to have sort of uh, uh, be kind of a starter. He's better than Blake Bortles. He's better than all these other guys, but he's not quite elite. And that's my only sort of question marks with him is um, is kind of the two. In the tiers of quarterbacks, he's sort of in that lower level tier, but I think there's still a lot of potential with him. Um, but he just isn't quite at like an elite sort of area. Uh, it's not like a once-in-a-lifetime kind of generational prospect, but he's pretty decent, you know, in terms of uh, what he can do in certain stretches, in terms of arm talent and those such things. Okay. So, really like Washington, as do I. You kind of like Mason Rudolph. Who's next on your list? Oh, who's next on my list? Um, uh, Trey Flowers, maybe at safety. Oh. Um, okay. You know, I mean, he's he's had his moments. Uh, Raymond Richards, 
you know, he's had his moment. Um, not the best, but had you know they've had their moments. Uh, probably probably Trey Flowers. Yeah, I'd probably say Trey Flowers. He does need to clean up his angles a little bit, get a little bit stronger. But I did like him a little bit uh, when I remember watching him last year. Okay. And any love for any of their running backs or tight ends or offensive linemen or any of their other offensive uh, talent? Oh, um, no, fine, but I'd ask. Oh, yeah. Uh, Zach Crabtree at right tackle is has some interesting sort of things. If you like Mike Kalilke, I mean McGlinky, uh, or McGlinche, um, Notre Dame guy, uh, a tackle uh, who's not super explosive. If you like that, why don't you try some Zach Crabtree? A little more explosive, similar sort of body type, and uh, has had his moments where he, he's put up some pretty decent performances against uh, some of the better pass rushers in the Big 12. Um, so I, w- I would say Crabtree, too, at, at right tackle is worth a watch. Gotcha. And that leads us, of course, to which is probably, I think, everybody's mountaintop team, a team that some people think has a chance to be in the Final Four for the NCAA playoffs in football, the Oklahoma Sooners. A little bit of uh, off-season excitement surrounding their quarterback, but, you know, like I said, a program that has also had some off-season excitement regarding their coach or, you know, who is their coach and things like that. But nevertheless, I just, I mean, they could end up being, you know, distracted and whatever, but I don't think they will be. I think that things will shove along, for the most part, pretty close to what would have happened if Coach Stoops had been there. But take me through that program, you know, what's of interest to you and, do you think this is a, a top four kind of program? Not really. And the reason why Oklahoma fans may get this, they may not. But the reason why Oklahoma is not really a top tier program is because their offense gets everything right. Their defense doesn't get everything right. Um, hmm. They've never quite been able to get their offense to meet their defense. Um, they've had talented players on defense uh, and we've talked about them you know um, I think uh, Charles remember I think Charles was uh, the guy's name um, Charles they had that Capper one. Means. yeah Charles Capper yeah they've had these really uber super athletic defensive linemen have they met the expectations of their athleticism no they've never quite done that They've had decent linebackers that haven't quite met that. They've had pass rushers that have been more edge safety than actual pass rushers. You know, kind of you people trying to sell us on Eric Stryker and how he's going to. Yeah. You know, the the new NFL was going to embrace Eric Stryker and he'll be fine. Well, the and NFL. I said, <laughs> I've seen this movie before. 
Look up Corey Bird from from Virginia yeah. Tech and then come back and talk to me. Well, people say the NFL is going to embrace this when the NFL a lot of times is we've been doing things a certain way for a while, young man, and we continue, <laughs> you know, continue to do it this way. You know, we're not going to change. Uh, yeah, I mean, and I don't like to call these guys gimmicky pass rushers. They're, they are pass rushers. Ogbania is a pass rusher. But when your top pass rusher is Ogbania, it's not amazing, you know? Like, it's not – like, Ogbania is not exactly scaring people with his high motor and, you know, determination, you know? Um, and, and I like the high yeah, motor. He does like have both of those things. But high motor and determination are not exactly scaring – like, if he had great athleticism – Oh, that high no. motor and determination would would be you know, amazing, but he doesn't quite have great athleticism. So that's only sort of issue with him. Of course, Stephen Parker has had his moments, but hasn't exactly been amazing. Jordan Thomas has been just kind of overrated. Most of the Oklahoma cornerbacks are overrated. I think the funniest thing was uh, when they had um, Sanch- Zach Sanchez. There was a guy who made a video of highlights and lowlights. I thought it was funny because uh, he did have a lot of lowlights. That kid has a lot of lowlights. Correct. Um, Correct. And it was he, kind of he, most he, of the video he, was just lowlights. Yeah, he kind of he kicked it Asante Samuel style but didn't have Asante Samuel's level of athletic ability. Exactly. And that's, again, that is the big difference uh, between them and every other program is the balance isn't there. Um, and I can't really pinpoint as to why that is if it's just because they haven't, they've been doing this whole, you know, the Stoops era has been the committee era where if you're a really talented defensive tackle, uh, or as Donovan put it, you know, he likes to play everybody because he wants to keep everybody there, you know, like basically trying to keep everybody happy and then nobody really develops because they don't get enough experience. To, to turn into something really good, you know, um, which well, that's may or may not. He and Coach Saban, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Saban definitely had a rotation. He's becoming more rotational oh, yeah, yeah. in his yeah, yeah. approach. But he's – but he has produced guys – but he does have his guys that are going to be in there no matter what. You know, like he's had – you know, Jonathan Allen is going to get the majority of the snaps people. He's not going to be just a secondary guy, you know. He'll he'll put in Deron Payne. He'll do these packages, but everybody knows who the honcho, you know, the head guy is. And Oklahoma never really did that. I mean, there were games I watched in Oklahoma where they would there'd be a defensive tackle that got really really hot, and then they would take him out of the game and put another guy in for a bit. And I'm like, you know, I don't know. I just get kind of depressed because I'm like, you know, that defensive tackle just figured that guy out, and you just took him out of the game. Um, <laughs> You know, and I don't know if that was their intention, but it just very much felt like a snap count of you get 10 snaps and then you get 10 snaps and then you get, you know. <laughs> Everybody gets Very snap. robotic. <laughs> very robotic in terms of how they did the rotations on defense. And that could have been why they – or they might not have been very good either. So there's a bit of that too. But I just think that that's my big issue. I just think defensively they don't have it like those other teams have offensively, which, again, gets to the positives, you know, they had Baker Mayfield. 
Um, I'm still working on the criminal metric, you know, because he did get arrested and he could not run. He could not run the cops, but that's a lot like his film. He is a mobile quarterback, but he doesn't got to like that, you know. It's not like a little Michael Vick running room. Um, he is not. He's not quite that. He is mobile, but he's not so mobile that it, it is a blur to watch on film. Um, he just does enough to kind of get away from things at times, but not the cops. Um, but I think. He again, the main positives I took away from his film he's a lot he's a lot better of a deep ball throw than I actually thought he was now, and I think he throws a very catchable football, a super catchable football, and I think those are super like I came away from Mayfield feeling more um like the questions I have about Mayfield is obviously character stuff. I don't think he's Johnny Manziel because Johnny Manziel was the whole. I don't want to say he's a head case or anything like that, or you know, he had a very weird background. Is all I'm trying to say. You know, yeah. growing up a, a very rich guy and kind of being given everything, you know, everything to him and having an uncle that's just kind of out there and you know stuff like that. That isn't quite Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield and plus Johnny Manziel didn't have to go to a program, leave that program, go to another pro like. Say what you want about Mayfield. Mayfield, he shows a lot of determination to, you know, to, in anything in life he's going to succeed. You know, because, you know, nobody recruited him. Went to Texas Tech, won the job, left Texas Tech, to Oklahoma after Trevor Knight was happening. I mean, think of again, think of the cojones for a guy to go to a program that has a quarterback that's already there that everybody's talking about. That Katy Perry, you know, kind of threw a little bit of, hey, you want to. You want you know you want to hang out you know type of thing, uh, you know flirting a little bit. You go there and you take that man's job. That's pretty. Just a lot of cojones on that guy. So, um, and on film, there's just a lot of positive points. Uh, the offense is definitely that offense, but I, I do think that he a lot of the criticisms that people may have lodged against him that I even lodged against him, I don't think are there anymore. You know, because a lot of my criticisms were about just not having enough arm strength and stuff like that. And I just think he's gotten better at a lot of those things in terms of deep ball accuracy and all the work. And again, throws a very catchable football. So there's a lot of positives from that perspective at tight end. Mark Andrews is, you know, Jeff Hireman, like uh, he's not, he, just like Hireman, he's not super productive in that offense in particular. I mean, he's productive, but he just, his market share isn't really that great. And but he does have that sort of look of an NFL tight end, you know. He just kind of has that sort of size profile and stuff like that that people like. And uh, on uh, and the other guy, Jeff Batted at wide receiver, I know he's been getting some buzz. Um, and Orlando Brown, I know I say this every year, but if a if an offensive tackle runs five four, then the Raiders will draft him. Um, and I hope that's not Orlando Brown. But it just seems like a pattern with him. Uh, Br Brown has had his moments as a run blocker because he's a he's huge. You know, he's a giant guy. Uh, you know, he's like six eight and like over three hundred pounds. You know, he's easily like three hundred twenty pounds, three hundred thirty pounds. But he just is so slow. Doesn't really deal with speed very well. Isn't the most flexible guy. And I. He could work out as a starting tackle because of his size, 
But I just don't like tackles. I just think that it really limits you in terms of the type of scheme you're trying to run, uh, the type of offense, the type of passing offense you're trying to do. It just really limits everything. Like teams that have these really low yards per attempt offenses usually have these types of tackles because you have to get rid of the ball so quickly because when you deal with, when you have explosive edge rushers, they're just able to go right around them. You know, they don't worry about size at all because they can just run around them. So Brown definitely has a lot of physical traits of people like, but I just don't think he's the type of athlete. He isn't very athletic for his size, which is my big sort of takeaway with him. Uh, but that's that's my only sort of issue with uh, with Orlando Brown. Yeah. So it sounds like you think this is a you know top five, top ten offense, but not so much on the defensive side. No, I mean the defense is bad. You know, um, I mean again. If you say who's their top pass rusher, you go, okay, Ogbania. Not very scary. You know, I'm just <laughs> just throwing that out there. I mean, that's that's not scaring offensive coordinators, you know, to, to think of, you know, like they're not trying to game plan around Ogbania. You know, like, oh, yeah, we need to devote our tight end and we'll get a running back to chip, you know, or we'll, we'll, we'll take a tight end and have him chip. No, they're not going to do that with Ogbania. They don't have to do that with him. Uh, you know, he does produce, but he produces in a way of just being a relentless kind of high motor, never stop kind of guy. He'll get there, but it just takes him some time, you know. Um, that that seems to be his approach, and that's just not exactly that scary. You know, you, we can deal with that as, a, as an offensive coordinator. We don't have to worry about that. We don't have to game plan 100% around that. Okay. Now, I assume, until you tell me differently, that you still see Oklahoma as the the team most likely to win the conference, or am I incorrect in that? Huh. I'm not – honestly, I'm not so sure about that. And the reason why is they lost a lot of stuff on offense. I mean, Joe Mixon, for all the stuff, um, was a super – important piece to that offense in terms of what made it as explosive as it was, you know, in terms of having a, having a running back that can outrun people uh, in space uh, is a, a really good asset and, and to have a guy like him that can make one handed catches and just do crazy stuff. Like, of course, P Ryan as well, you know, having that type of guy on the offense and uh, DD Westbrook as well. He kind of stretched stretches the field uh, in terms of speed. Um, you know, I, I, and of course, the defense I don't really think got much better uh, over the off season, which I may be wrong, but I just don't think the defense has really made. You know, maybe maybe it'll, maybe it'll make major strides, but that's my big sort of question. So I don't know. I don't. I wouldn't necessarily say that they're the top team in the Big Twelve because Baker Mayfield's there. And this is a big thing. It's sort of a prove it sort of season. If they're if they're going to stay the top team in Oklahoma, it's going to depend on Baker Mayfield. We're talking like a Derek Carr esque performance here. You know what I'm saying? Like that because there's a lot of similarities between Oklahoma's team and Fresno State from the perspective of the defense is terrible, which is like what Fresno <laughs> State was like, and the offensive line is kind of eh, it's not 
amazing. It's okay, but it's not amazing, at least by Big 12. You know, it's like they don't exactly have Texas' line or TCU's line even. Uh, and wide receiver-wise, there's some interesting stuff at wide receiver. But, like, it would take a Derek Carr-esque performance from Baker Mayfield. He would have to carry this team. Um, and I don't know if – I mean, he could. He's been very productive. But yeah, that's the only yeah. thing I would say is I, I, I'm I not so sure about that. I'm not so sure we can I, – I, I wouldn't crown them right now. I would, I would wait and see, you know, wait a couple weeks and then see because I don't think the defense is much better. I do think they lost a lot of offensive talent. And this is really sort of a prove it – I mean, really is. I mean, you know, the biggest criticism, I don't really believe that all the offensive talent around Baker Mayfield made him who he was because of just how accurate he was with the football. Like he had great playmakers, but he also was able to get them the ball, uh, you know, where they needed to get it and and to make plays. So I, in terms of, you know, facilitating the offense and stuff, but this is definitely going to be a year where Mayfield, I think is going to have less talent on, on offense skill position wise than he's had. Um, and it's just a matter of if he elevates that team or, performs at the same level despite the drop in talent at those positions. And that's my biggest question in terms of if they repeat or not as the Big 12 champion. Got it. And that is, that's a big question. I mean, there's, I think the Big 12, I want to say it's up for grabs. I mean, I think there's a, you know, I think there's Oklahoma and Oklahoma State and then a big gap between those two and the rest of the conference. Would you would you at least agree that that's probably accurate? Oh yeah, I mean I, I mean I would say that the top five teams in the Big Twelve, like I would honestly I would say Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, West Virginia, and. Maybe Texas talent wise are fairly similar, but the only thing the only thing that really gives Oklahoma the advantage is the fact that their quarterback has been as efficient as he's been you know um right because he really has been the best quarterback in that conference stats wise and you know on film you know uh in terms of just accuracy and stuff like that for throwing very catchable football. Mason Rudolph is in another year Mason Rudolph's play might elevate. Will Greer is in the conference now. So, like, I'm just saying there's there's more. I think the, te- the, the teams on the talent, the talent pool, I guess, is very similar between those four teams. It's just the quarterback position has been kind of a mess or is kind of working its way along. And I just think that if one of those court- – if Mason Rudolph takes a big step, if Will Greer, you know, lives up to the heights, you know, I think that that really could challenge – them because I don't see that big of a difference or that big of a gap between Oklahoma and these other programs um, talent-wise, especially on defense. You know, I I just don't see that big of a difference um, in terms of those programs talent-wise. Gotcha. So that brings us to, I guess I'll sort of ask for a sort of a quick top 10 in the big quote-unquote 12 in your idea, in your mind, in terms of, uh, NFL prospects, and then and then we'll uh, adjourn. So, if you were sort of talk, 
putting together your top 10 Big 12 prospects, and they don't have to be in order necessarily unless you have them in order, but who would those 10 players be and why? Right. Well, I guess I'll get to, I guess I'll just do position. So, like, quarterback, Mason Rudolph, Baker Mayfield, obviously. Sure. Um, so those are your running top back. Two. Right. Okay. The top two would be kind of like that. Yep. Running back. Sure I, I don't really have anybody at running back. Really. Um, I mean, twelve running backs. Okay. Right. I mean, there, there's there's so talent there. This isn't close, but not quite. And yeah, I guess, is yeah. Carson still with? No, he. Okay. Uh, oh wait. Oh, uh, the other kid, Justice. Um, what's his name? Um, Justice Hill. He's not. Or the kid at the kid at uh, Oklahoma State. What's his name? Right. Young right. Um, sophomore this year. Mm-hmm. Harrison. Yeah, I know what you're about. talking about. Yeah. Um. I mean, I like them. I I just wouldn't. You know, but I, but yeah. I love them. You know, like it's just kind I get of. It. That's fine. Okay, uh, move on. Who 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 do you who do you? But yeah, uh, you got those guys. I think wide receiver James Washington, Washington. obviously, uh, Alan Lazard. But a wait and see on that. So we'll we'll see what happens with the rest. Uh, offensive line wise, Connor Williams would definitely be there. Orlando Brown would be there. Although I'm kind of regretting it, but yeah, he's going to be there. Um, Edge-wise, I would definitely have Dorrance Armstrong from Kansas. So Kansas makes it apparent. I would also have Ogbania, but again, let's wait and see (laughs) what happens. Uh, And at linebacker, Trayvon Howard would definitely be there. Malik Jefferson would be there. Based on uh, you know, athletic. actually, I'll take away Bonnie. Sorry, Bonnie, and put Malik Jefferson there. And okay. Then, <laughs> so, sorry, Ogbania. Um, but yeah, Malik okay. Jefferson there. Gotcha. And then the last guy is going to the Rolodex of corners and safeties. Would probably be, I think, a Baylor. Yeah, a Baylor guy. I would. Say Davian Hall. Davian Hall. Okay, got it. Yeah, that that would be the sort of the two quarterbacks, obviously Mason Rudolph and Baker Mayfield, James Washington, um, Lazard, Orlando Brown, Connor Williams, Traven Howard, Dorrance Armstrong, Lake Jefferson, and then of course Davian Hall. The last guy. Good stuff. And could you tell? everyone, the fans, everybody, what you're up to, what things they look for coming from you next to Well, obviously I've been doing a ton of uh, analytics-based stuff on the Common Man Football channel on YouTube, and a lot of stuff has been offensive line. Check that out something. People don't care about offensive line data. You are um, correct. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, I should just do videos on quarterbacks and wide receivers all day long because apparently that's what people care about. Uh, which, of course, I'm not going to do that. But uh, I just thought that. Was, but I did uh, athletic looks at the Cowboys, who I think are one of the best offensive ones in the NFL, who also happen to be one of the most athletic 
offensive lines in the NFL. Take that, offensive line gurus. Uh, the Tennessee Titans <laughs> offensive line is another team I profiled who are one of the most athletic offensive lines in the NFL who also happen to be one of the, you know, one of the best, you know, in terms of athletes and, of course, one of the best lines in the NFL. I think most people would agree. And they're built very similar to the Cowboys, too, which I was very surprised by, but very similar in terms of the types of athletes at the center position and the guard position and the tackle position. It's just the honestly the only real difference is that they're white, I guess. <laughs> in terms of like you know like Ty you know Tim Lewan is not exactly Tyron Smith you know in terms, you know in terms of color, but as athletes they're similar, but it's just you know they're different skin tone. Um, but yeah, so like I did sort of profile on that. I'm doing one on the Cleveland Browns because I want to get that Cleveland Brown money. Um, and which will be coming out soon. Also did profiles and linebackers. And then I'm also doing a Derek Carr video because there's been a lot of backlash against Derek Carr being paid $25 million a year, um, which I just think is kind of funny because data-wise there's a lot of positive. And also yards per attempt, you know, people coming out of the woodwork. It's one of those things where when a quarterback has a low – this is the biggest thing. People look at statistics, Bill, and they go, he has a low statistic here, and they don't even take the time to see if that stat even matters in the big picture. Oh, my. You know? Hands are tiny. Oh, my gosh, his arms are so short. That and they don't even take the vertical. time to see if it matters. <laughs> you know, they don't even see if it matters. They don't even see how it's applicable. They don't even double-check. I mean, if you're going to put all this stuff, the 10-yard split, another example, which I'm already having a video <laughs> working on about that. But everybody likes the 10-yard split. It just makes so much sense. You know, how often do football players really run 40 yards in a game, right? You know, like all that kind of stuff. When, honestly, the 10-yard split is measuring things you already measure, like the short shell and the three cone or the vertical and the broad jump in their own way. Because, again, if you're very flexible, you're able to – get off – I mean, there, there's cor- there's correlations between having a good short shell and three cone and having a very good 10-yard split in addition to being very good in terms of vertical and broad jump and having a very good 10-yard split. So they're really measuring that stuff, which we already measure. So who cares? But whatever. So and also the data backs the 40-yard dash more than it does a 10-yard split. Like you're going to find more well, successful because, players. Well, because once again, sample size. A 10-yard sample size is a tiny one. Technique difference can give one guy a huge advantage over the first 10 yards while speed begins to wipe away that technique advantage once you go further down the track. Exactly. So, again, and people put so much emphasis. And even when you show – that's the funny thing. Even when you show the data and you prove people wrong, they still don't want to believe it, which just amazes <laughs> me. Like, it's right yeah. in your face. But, yeah, I would just say that yards per attempt, which in that video, I'm talking a lot about yards per attempt because it's a, it's a data point that really doesn't matter anymore. In the modern NFL, yards per attempt really doesn't matter as much as it used to, you know. Like, this isn't the Al Davis days anymore. You know, everything's West Coast offense, West, you know, West Coast says, you know. And plus, Derek Carr's adjusted yards per attempt is above average by the whatever. So I, I just did a whole video about yards per attempt and stuff like that and how it's BS and how Derek Carr excels in the things that matter, the the metrics that matter, right, that whole 
new wave of things. But, um, but yeah, and plus if he was worth $25 million a year, which my big thing is he's a franchise quarterback, that's just how much they make. You know, um, you're not – a quarterback is not going to accept less than that. You know, every, every, every new quarterback contract for a franchise quarterback is, is going to be the biggest contract ever. You know, we're going to be talking about Dak Prescott having the biggest contract ever. You know, like the only, peop- the only quarterback that people are really kind of in on is like Kirk Cousins. You know, we don't really want to pay him that much, but that's really the only quarterback that, that there's been so much backlash against getting paid. Uh, but yeah, Derek Carr kind of joins that group, but whatever. So that video obviously is coming up, and then I'm going to be doing a lot of. I may end up doing a mock draft. I don't know. I may just do a video as to why I'm not going to do a mock draft, but that's which that I think I'd would like be a see. that'd be a better thing to do and just explain to people not only that it's pointless. There's not enough information. You're going to hate me anyways because if I have a team in the top 10 that you're a fan of, you're going to hate me and go, why do you think my team sucks? Like a lot of stuff to unpack. But yeah, I, I just, in general, I don't like doing mock drafts. I get mock, I, I like doing uh, mock drafts on occasion. I think mock drafts are fun. They're cool. But when you have a mock draft every single week, a new mock draft. For no apparent reason. (laughs) A new top 10. And oftentimes it's driven by, I just got to watching so-and-so's tape. He's pretty good. Top 10 pick. Oh, boy. I just got to watching Josh Allen's tape, and he made a cool gift. Top 10 pick. Like, I just, you know, it, it shouldn't be – it shouldn't be like weather reports. I, you know, or I don't know. But it's just sort of the thing of, like, if you're – to me, doing a mock draft at any point of the year is kind of looking at a weather forecast from like three months ago. You know, like it doesn't help you now. It probably would have helped you back then. It may have been wrong, but I just it's like it's like forecasting, and it's it's just you know, I and yeah, there's a lot of projection. I just find it it more interesting, better to really just pay attention to prospects. And as far as, like, what happens, I mean, what actually is going to happen on draft day is teams leave that to the other guy. Leave that to the people that are talking to actual teams. I'm just going to focus on what I can do, which is just figuring out these guys are actually going to be good football players. So I guess that's my biggest thing against mock draft. I just think people like us should be focusing more on who's actually going to be a good football player because we can do that a little bit better than – what so-and-so, what the Jets are going to draft and stuff like that, even though it's fun to do. Again, it's fun to do. Draft personalities are a real thing, and it's fun to do that, uh, obviously. But I just don't think you should be doing a mock draft every single week. You know, um, it just seems pointless. You know, know, Sisyphus pushing a boulder up and then it rolls back down, you know, type of thing to me. But, but, you know. So that's what you're up to. Yeah, lots of lots, lots of stuff, obviously. So yes, <laughs> but your fans and uh, people who aren't fans yet, but eventually, once they people that hate really me too. I have <laughs> well, I, right. have hate, I have hate fans. It's funny. I've never <laughs> had this before. I've had people who hate me, but uh-huh. they still 
ask me questions and comment. So, <laughs> which I think is funny. It's funny to have fans who hate you, but they still. Maybe that's the thing. It's better to actually have people who just even if they hate you, they still they love to hate you. I guess. I guess yeah. is the best way to put it. It's good to have people that's like correct. that. There you go, Jim. Your metrics. You're an idiot. This is the stupidest, you know, thing I've ever read. Oh, by the way, how did so and so do in this? You know, like, <laughs> this is stupid thing you did. Uh, where do you stack up? <laughs> Asking for oh, by a the friend. way, how did this guy? Yeah. Oh, by the way, how did this other guy stack up? Okay, he, he called me an idiot. Now you want me to like? Okay, all right. You're yep. punking me. What's going on here? Welcome to Draft Twitter. But yes, uh, hey, every great innovator and every great thinker has initially had to go through a process where everybody, you know, basically called him an idiot. So you're going through that now. Oh, I mean, I'm used to it, you know, at this point. Um, But I don't know. It's funny that you go from, I mean, Twitter is, I mean, people get angry on Twitter. Don't get me wrong. But you don't have the sort of – unless you're, like, a jerk on Twitter, which I don't really think I'm a jerk on – I don't think I am. You are But, not. like, unless you you're, are. like, a jerk on Twitter who, you know, is, like, oh, that's stupid, you know, like, that's stupid. You know, don't ever talk – you know, stuff like that or just comes off kind of pompous. Yeah, you'll have a little Twitter outrage and stuff like that. But I've never had – I've never posted a thing on data and just have people outright call me idiot unless they – we're just some random person that's never met me or talked to me or tweeted at, you know, other than that. Right. So, so. Right. Um, Something, somebody retweets it that they do follow and they suddenly see this and it's like, what? And then they feel the need to track you down. But yeah. Um, yeah. But, but the point I'm making is like I said, your time is coming. We're, we're entering the age of geometrics. People will soon, before you know it, people will be stealing your stuff, Jim. And that's when you know, you've made it. <laughs> I guess. I mean, that's kind of scary because that means I steal my stuff and they get all the stuff. But yeah, which you can't steal my, I don't know. I, as I tell most people, you can't steal my stuff just because I'm, you have to do a lot of work. Like if you steal my stuff, good. It took me four years to do it. So, you know, like, I don't know. That's just, that's just my general sort of feeling. If you still myself, that's great. It just took me four years to get to what is right here. So if you still it's that meet you at least put in the work to still my stuff is all I'm trying to say. So <laughs> there you that's go. how you steal my stuff. <laughs> you work very hard to steal my stuff. So I have to commend right. you for that. Is, <laughs> is all I'm putting to in the work. Right. Well here's here's what it is. We we now like I said are at that point where you're you're not far from that critical mass where I mean, the hate's not going anywhere. The hate will continue to, to exist and click along. And you'll you'll draw more and more fans. And people who even, like I said, maybe steal your stuff, but try to sort of like what some other people in the quote-unquote metrical community have done with somebody else's work where they simplify or rebrand or whatever it is they do to make it, quote-unquote, make it their own or tweak it or whatever. It's only a matter of time until you start seeing that happen. And like I said, I mean, it is, people say it's a form of flattery, it's a form of thievery, whatever it's a form of, I think you're not far from that critical mass, but that also means that you're penetrating and that you're succeeding and that, you know, before long, 
you'll gain a lot a lot of traction because that's a sign of that when people want to be associated with the work that you do. And the work that you do is pretty darn awesome. So well done, Jim. That's what that was that was all that was about. And wow, we're working our way through. Um so amongst the quote unquote power five, uh we only have the Pac twelve and SEC to go, and then we'll start on the non-Power 5, however you want to term that. So um, that's, that's what's coming up next. I hope that those who do enjoy what we do will enjoy this. I will post the uh, link to the archived version of this at some point tomorrow. Jim, as always, I thank you for your time, your talents, and your attention. We will do this again in one week, sir. Have a great night.